Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Yes, good afternoon. Welcome, folks, to another edition of Sports Central, Sunday, 6th of February. Chris Warren with you for the next uh, four hours as we chat all things sport and a whole lot more as well. Open invitation, as always, uh, for you guys to and girls to be part of the show uh, via the open line and via text. So if you want to pick up the phone and have a chat, uh, the number is 1300 01 1170. And the text line, you should know it by now, 0457 736 736. Weather in Sydney, few clouds about, uh, top of around 24 and I think 23 in the west. And for our listeners on the Gold Coast through SEN 1620, uh, top of around 26 up there and a few showers expected as well. Well, plenty for us to talk about. A stack of Aussies in action last night at the Winter Olympics in Beijing and uh, we'll be joined a bit later on by a couple of our Winter Olympians. So looking forward to that. Have you been watching some of it? I know it's only a couple of days old. Uh, I quite like it. I quite like it. Don't know the intricacies of, of all the um, the disciplines, uh, but you've got to admire their strength, particularly those bloody speed skaters. They have got... I don't know, quads of steel, haven't they? Anyway, look forward to uh, chatting a bit of Winter Olympics over the next few hours. Uh, The fallout continues after the Justin Langer dismissal. Well, you can't really call it a a sacking. Um, It was, but it wasn't. He stood down from the role as head coach of the Australian men's cricket team, but there was clearly no vote of confidence, was there, in Langer, uh, by the Australian cricket head honchos. A six-month extension of his four-year contract was all that he was offered, and he's decided to walk away. And you can't blame him, can you? Uh, he dived into the position after Sandpaper Gate. He helped rebuild the team's reputation. Uh, just won a World Cup less than three months ago. Thumped the palms in the ashes, then inducted into the Cricket Australia Hall of Fame. And uh, for all of that, see you later, JL. I think it's just ridiculous. I think it's incredible. And, you know, I listened to um, the likes of Ricky Ponting, the likes of Steve Waugh, the likes of many other senior Aussie cricketers, and they just can't believe the way this has been handled. You might have your thoughts on the whole fiasco, uh, labelled a sad day for Australian cricket by Ricky Ponting, uh, describing the whole process as embarrassing. Another test great, Matthew Hayden, has slammed the decision. And so, too, as I say, have plenty of others. Uh, Cricket Australia CEO Nick Hockley, um, he said that Cricket Australia would like to thank Justin for his, and look at some of these these terminologies, his outstanding leadership since he became Australian men's team coach in 2018 and for guiding the team to the T20 World Cup title last year and the 4-0 Ashes victory. Hockley goes on to say Justin is not only a legend of the game, but an outstanding individual. Justin has been an outstanding coach. Likes the word outstanding, doesn't he? 
Um, and it goes on, uh, Hockley said in, in a statement yesterday. He added, he has restored the trust in the team and his legacy is assured. Hockley continues, we are extremely proud of his achievements since he took over in 2018, including the recent T20 World Cup victory and Ashes success. Uh, it doesn't sound, when you hear all that from the boss of Australian cricket, uh, Nick Hockley, it doesn't sound like you're talking about a bloke who you want to get out of the place, you know? Uh, but then it goes on and he's admitted that having JL in charge, um, he was a figure of disunity. I mean, come on, you can't be saying all that about Langer and then admit that his presence within the squad as leader um, caused disunity. I just don't get it. Anyway, it's done. Now to find Langer's replacement. I tell you what, talk about a tough act to follow. Who are the candidates? Well, we'll talk through some of the options a bit later in the show. You might have your thoughts as well. I must admit, though, um, and unlikely it won't happen, I'd love to see one of, if not my all-time favourite Aussie cricketer, Ricky Ponting, take the helm. Uh, You might have your thoughts. uh, But still, I mean, the way Ponting has slammed what Cricket Australia have done to his good mate, JL, um, there's not much chance they will come to him and say, hey, Ricky, take over. Still with cricket, we've got uh, our Aussie women's team in action as we uh, speak on the Ashes, uh, the second ODI, uh, a junction oval in Melbourne. Our girls have already retained the Ashes, leading 8-4 with uh, this one, plus another ODI remaining. I'm sure they'll be hoping to go through the Ashes series unbeaten ahead of the upcoming uh, Women's World Cup. Pretty sure Australia plays England in uh, their opening um, match for the World Cup. Yes, they do. Uh, That's on March 5 uh, in New Zealand. Uh, and I'll bring you up to speed on, on how the uh, the women's team is going in that second ODI. Uh, we'll bring you up to s- uh, speed on the score shortly. In soccer, uh, looking forward to chatting uh, with former Socceroos captain Paul Wade. Uh, as we know, the Aussie men's team is facing an uphill task uh, to make a fifth consecutive World Cup after their midweek draw with Oman. Uh, I see former Socceroos head coach, or hero rather, Head coach uh, John Aloise, he thinks our boys will get to Qatar. Um, gee, I hope they do. Uh, the FFA Cup has been won by Melbourne Victory. Quite a turnaround, isn't it, from last year's A League Wooden Spooners under their new coach Tony Popovich? 2 1 uh, victory beating Central Coast Mariners at Amy Park. Um, and one of Popovich's uh, former uh, clubs, Western Sydney Wanderers, went down 1 uh, 0 to A League leaders Western United last night. At Parramatta. So a loss for Mark Rudan, uh, now in charge of the Wanderers. That's his second match in charge. Uh, he was, of course, the foundation coach, Roots, um, at Western United. And Western United's uh, current coach, John Aloisi, uh, gets a victory on his uh, 46th birthday. So happy birthday, John. Uh, United returned to the top of the A-League men's ladder on 19 points. Sydney FC, three points back in second. Uh, but a number of clubs still with a few games to make up. So the table in the A-League, not really an accurate picture of um, the COVID-disrupted season. Uh, We'll be talking to uh, Sydney FC goalkeeper a bit later on too. Look forward uh, to that. And uh, this afternoon, Wellington Phoenix plays MacArthur FC. Uh, A number of EPL games involved, uh, EPL clubs rather, involved in the fourth round of the FA Cup this morning, including Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham and Man City. Uh, I'll bring you up to speed with those results shortly too. Uh, Just one game in the English Premier League this morning, relegation battle between uh, Burnley and uh, Watford. And still in the UK, uh, Six Nations Rugby kicked off this morning. 
Um, Ireland played Wales. Scotland played England. Now, Scotland, uh, they had a late penalty try awarded to them, uh, defeating England 20 points to 17, and Ireland hammered Wales 29 points to 7. Uh, in the NBL last night, Perth Wildcats defeated South East Melbourne Phoenix 101 to 79. Cairns Taipans beat the Brisbane Bullets 102 to 94. And in about oh, about an hour or so, uh, Sydney Kings will take on uh, New Zealand Breakers. Then Melbourne United will face the Tassie Jack Jumpers. We'll talk some boxing too. Plenty of Aussies in the limelight recently. Tim Zhu uh, set to make his long-awaited overseas debut next month in the US. Younger bro Nikita Zhu will make his pro debut in Brisbane on the 2nd of March. Uh, George Cambosis Jr. is expected to make an announcement soon about his next fight. And uh, and his first world title defence too. And Brock Jarvis, another Aussie with a 20-0 and unbeaten record. Um, I'm keen to learn what is around the corner for, for Brock. And two-time Aussie world champ Billy Dibb will join us a bit later on too in a couple of hours. Uh, he too has a big fight coming up in March. The Socceroos, well, uh, we'll talk to Paul Wade about them. Um, can they make it through to... Um, to the World Cup. It's going to be a tricky road. So looking forward to talking to uh, to Wadey. Uh, in surfing, uh, Kelly Slater has won an eighth, um, an eighth title at Pipeline Hawaii 30 years after his first win at the famous break. I think he turns 50 either today or in the next couple of days. Kelly Slater, I mean, what a man. What a surfer. What an athlete. 11 World Championships. Um, and that was the season opening event on the World Surf League calendar. He beat a 22-year-old local, Seth Moniz, I think it's pronounced. Um, amazing barrel. I don't know if you saw any of that from Pipeline. I saw it, I think it was in the quarterfinal, Kelly Slater. He was inside uh, the green room, if you want to call that, a barrel, back door. Uh, he was inside for, it uh, must have been about 10 seconds and, and came out. Just amazing. He's still got it, hasn't he? At the ripe old age of, of almost 50. And that's his 56th. Um, top level win. Well, loads for us to get through, so uh, please feel free to pick up the uh, the phone and have your say. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is that open line number. Timmy Manners going to join us a bit later on as well uh, to chat through um, rugby league. We're not too far away from the trial matches now, and then the season proper all kicks off. Um, in March. And the text line again, 0457 736 736. While we're at it too, I'm going to continue our hard um, hitting uh, investigation or analysis, if you like, into things that Dan ain't done. Yeah, Cowboy Dan, um, a 30-something male, and there are a number of things that he just has not done in life. So we'll continue our look at things that Dan ain't done and we'll add to that list. You are listening to Sports Central with me, Chris Warren. Yes, indeed. Great to have your company wherever you might be. I hope you're uh, enjoying your, your Sunday morning. A bloody awful day in Sydney, I've got to say. So windy and bleak. Uh, I was up early this morning with the kids down the beach at Nippers and uh, beaches all closed. So uh, do yourself a, a favour. Don't dive in. They're pretty dangerous surf out there. Uh, you would not think we're smack bang in the middle of summer, though, would you? Just uh, awful conditions in Sydney. Anyway, make the most of it, won't you? Uh, might be a day to stay indoors and, and watch some sport or play some, some board games. Uh, maybe bring out the Monopoly or the Trivial Pursuit or the Uno or something like some card games. 
Um, around the grounds we go. I said I'd bring you up to speed on some scores. So that, uh, that one-day international, the second ODI, is part of the, uh, the women's ashes. The Australian women, they've already, uh, well, secured the ashes. They, they can't lose them. However, I'm sure they'd like to uh, make it three blot in the one-day section or segment of the series and uh, growing, going great guns, uh, our, our girls, England batting, um, seven for 82. Seven for 82 off uh, 30 overs. So uh, they're in all sorts of, of um, drama there, all sorts of uh, troubles for England. It looks like it's going to be a comfortable win. However, uh, they've got runs on the board. So you never, never know, do you, until the uh, the second team has batted. Loads for us to get through in terms of cricket. You know, I just think it's absolutely laughable what has happened to Justin Langer um, and the way it's been handled, really. Look, if... If they don't want Langer in the post, and that is blatantly clear that they, they want him out of there, right? Um, I'm reading articles today. Um, a figure of disunity. A figure of disunity. So there's only a few, you reckon? There's only a few players, and I believe a couple of maybe um, assistant coaches, perhaps, that haven't liked the way he's gone about business. And what I'm saying, if you don't want him there, get rid of him. Sack him. Okay, why? Because he's a figure of disunity. Be honest about it. Don't offer him a token gesture. Oh, hey, how about you see us through to the the World Cup T20? We'll let you try and, um, you know, defend your title and and then go. I mean, if they don't want him there, show him the door. Anyway, he's gone. I just think it's been handled pathetically. And uh, I'm looking at some leading lights in the game. They tend to agree. Much the same as the whole Tim Payne fiasco was handled. I think there's some people that need some answering um, in the corridors of Cricket Australia. I just think it's laughable. I really do. You might have your thoughts on that. I read an article. We'll talk more about it, obviously, uh, as the the hours go through. We're here until, what, 4 o'clock today, so plenty of time for you to have your say. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. I read an article yesterday on the Fox Sports website and it talks about uh, JL receiving, I think it was $41,000 less than the players for that um, that documentary they did. Uh, when was that? A couple of years ago or whenever it was, you know. And so he took a few of them out there and, and caned them on the training pitch and a few of them were vomiting. And um, they're saying, well, that was because he was peed off because uh, they got more cash. Anyway, loads for us to get through. Plenty of sport on um, and an invitation for you to join it as well. Loads of guests coming up as well very shortly talking to Lockie McCurdy. In fact, we'll do it after this next break. Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports, and we're going to sink our teeth into the Winter Olympics. You're listening to Sports Central on SEN. Yes, you are. Chris Warren in the chair with you up until 4 o'clock. Cowboy Dan is here as well. I haven't said good morning to you yet, Cowboy. Uh, good afternoon, Chris, as well. Oh, Hello. that too. <laughs> Hello, how are you? That too. Well, I'm, I'm clearly good. I'm on top of my game, obviously, if I don't know what uh, what hour it is. Well, it's a very busy show. It is a very busy show. Mm. I'm looking forward um, shortly, uh, in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to be talking to Nick Timming. Correct. So he's uh, one of our Winter Olympians. He's a skeleton racer. Mm. And for those that don't know what skeleton is, so it's basically your, your head first on your tummy yep. down a very steep slope at a, at, a, at a rapid rate and quite dangerous. Another thing I probably wouldn't do and definitely haven't done. We're going to get through that as well. Uh, Dan ain't done. Uh, we'll save that for a bit later on because Lockie McCurdy uh, from Code Sports has been kind enough to give up a little bit of his Sunday, I was going to say morning, afternoon to talk to us. Lockie, thanks for joining us, mate. How are you? 
Very well, thank you, Chris. How are you? Mate, really well. I guess you're, you're enjoying the Winter Olympics, and, and like most of us, um, it, it's one of those events that you tune into every every few years when the Olympics roll around, but it's quite intriguing, and I think um, it's, it's breathtaking, some of the stuff that we see. It's dangerous. Um, it's risky, and they really are very, very fine athletes, all of them, um, and it, it's captivating, really, and I imagine that the ratings are quite good. Where do we start? Let's start with the men's moguls. Um, mm. Now, last night I tuned in a, a bit late. I saw Matt Graham on Channel 7, um, almost a breakdown, in tears, describing his exit mm. as embarrassing, which it was anything but embarrassing, but real disappointment for him. Yeah, unfortunately, it just wasn't to be for Matt Graham. I mean, it was just purely incredible that he was even able to get to the start line in Beijing because he was looking really good throughout last year, kind of building up solid form throughout the World Cup season. And then in December, he went and broke his collarbone. So that's a serious injury for anyone, let alone someone who's trying to compete at the elite level of sport. So for him to even get on the start line was, I think, and I think most people agree, was a phenomenal effort. And even though he was there sort of saying, I'm not using it as an excuse. I don't want to blame it. I I feel like I had more pain with the result as opposed to any of the injuries. I I still think he has to take a lot of credit to be able to to fight back from from where he was only two months ago, essentially, to actually compete. And even though he he finished sort of in 29th spot, well below his his own lofty standards, it, it was remarkable. Um, James Matheson, he uh, missed out on qualification for the first final. We may even be chatting to James a bit later on in the show. So if that happens, looking forward to that. As I said, Nick Timmings in skeleton. We are going to be talking to him very, very shortly. Uh, Still with the men's moguls, though, Lockie. um, Tell us more about Cooper Woods. So he reached the super final and took out, I think, sixth place. Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal night for Cooper. It was, uh, he's only 21. This is his first Olympic Games. And, Obviously, all the focus was on Matty Graham because of his sort of record across the last year. But Cooper Woods has come through and with a real sort of never-say-die attitude, has just produced personal best after personal best to, to get through qualifying two. He got through final one, got through final two, and booked his place in the final six where anything can really happen. He's a, he's a young kid from Cooma, and for anyone who would have seen his <clears throat> post-race interview, mm. he was absolutely just delighted to be there, I think. It was... Uh, yeah, uh, quite a, a special moment for the Australian Moguls team that even when you had the, the de- devastating night for Manny, that you had someone like Cooper Woods who has got a good 10 years ahead of him in the sport yeah. put on a performance like that, which was really exciting. I was watching the Moguls with my, my young boys and um, you know they haven't seen much Winter Olympics before and they were in awe as well as I. I mean, the damage it must do or the pressure it must put on your knees, just remarkable, mm. you know. I, I, I can't fathom how they do it. But then to do a couple of aerial tricks as well, it's 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 such a demanding discipline, isn't it, the men's moguls? And uh, we've still got some uh, more to look forward to tonight. We'll, we'll get onto that uh, in the women's side as well uh, of the moguls. Uh, where are we up to uh, in the curling? We're still alive? Look, we're not alive in terms of beating medal prospects, but they do have two more matches today. Unfortunately, the kind of the golfing class between some of the really professional teams who who have professional facilities in their own country and the Aussies, who it's just incredible that they're there, has kind of shown in the last couple of matches that they're 0 from 7, which mm. it wasn't a result they would have wanted going into these games. And the results really, when you look at them, haven't shown that. They've had about four matches where they've only lost by one stone and it, the, the result really could have gone either way. But 
Yeah, they've got two more matches today. First up against Switzerland and then latest night against Canada to round out their campaign. And they'll definitely be looking to try and get at least one win from those to come away with something victorious. But for Tali and Dean, I, I think it's just been incredible for anyone who's watched any of their matches throughout this tournament, that they've had a smile on their face the whole time. They've just loved being there. Mm. They've got this back-and-forth banter between their coaches that they talk about buying burritos after <laughs> each match, which is absolutely fantastic, saying, if I pull this shot off, the burritos are on you when they're talking to their coaches. So I think they've really sort of captured a bit of imagination in curling, a sport that mm. has not had any sort of profile in Australia, and I think it'll definitely help that regardless of if they go through without a win, I don't think it matters. They've done all they've uh, set out to achieve in Beijing. Mm, I was uh, cleaning my floors the other day, and I, I thought of curling, you know, when I was doing the mopping. You know, <laughs> I couldn't get these nasty stains off these floorboards. But on a serious note, Tali Gill and Dean uh, Hewitt, well done. Well done to them. Mm. Now, we've got some medal chances today. Um, I think it all starts from around about, well, almost shortly, actually. Mm. Um, am I right? First up, Tess Cody in the snowboard, the women's snowboard. Yeah, she's in the slope-style final, uh, which kicks off in about, oh, only about five minutes' time. So they'll have three runs there in the women's snowboard slope-style final. She qualified sort of eighth best uh, for that final yesterday. We weren't quite sure how it was going to look. She put through a a pretty conservative total uh, with her first run, but it was more than enough to get her in, which was really impressive. And the young 21-year-old, she sort of, wasn't able to have the, the, her best tournament back at Pyeongchang in 2018 when she uh, suffered an ACL injury in training um, just after the, the course had been closed to strong winds. So she wasn't able to compete in uh, South Korea back then. But now she's back. She's made her Olympic debut officially and she's into a final. And, yeah, she's a fantastic character in this sport. You'll see her wearing a, a sort of a full-face balaclava as well. Mm. That's kind of something that she's been uh, known as, as well. She's... Uh, said in various interviews that it's part intonation, part swag. So make, yeah. make of that what you will. All right. Well, we'll keep uh, our listeners across that. So, yeah, starting in, in only a matter of moments is that event, the snowboard uh, women's snowboard slope-style finals test, Cody. Now, then, later on this evening, uh, we talk about moguls. It's the women's moguls finals. A uh, couple still very much alive, aren't they? Jakara Anthony and also, I believe, Brittany Cox. Yes, yeah, so this is a, a really strong medal chance for Australia. Jakara Anthony was absolutely incredible in the first qualifying round for this competition. That She, she blitzed the field, essentially, and uh, finished first by a score of more than two and a half points, so safely booked her passage through. And then Britt Cox, uh, four-time Olympian. She went to her first Olympics in Vancouver when she was only 15. She's also made it through to the, the final stages, mm. the final 20. And she's someone who, she went into Pyeongchang as probably the favourite, like Jakara is now, and wasn't able to kind of live up to that own expectation that she she set for herself. So she's someone who's also got uh, quite a point to prove uh, in Beijing over at Genting Snow Park. But then we've got one more who could make it, Sophie Ash. Uh, mm-hmm. She's there's one more set of qualifying uh, before the final, so she just has to finish in the top ten out of twenty in qualifying too, and she'll go through to the next phase as well. So there's every chance that we have three Aussies who gets through to the finals for the women's moguls. But Jakara Anthony is definitely brilliant. the one to watch. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Thanks very much, Lockie. I could talk all day, uh, but Code Sports is the place to go. Lockie McCurdy joining us. Uh, uh, we are almost becoming a regular guest, mate, and I appreciate your time. 
Anytime, Chris. Thank you. Great stuff. There he is. Now, we're going to keep the theme of Winter Olympics going. And as a look out the window, uh, quite appropriate too. It's it's pretty, well, not chilly, but uh, blowy out there. It could be a, a winter's day here in Sydney. Up next, we're going to talk to Nick Timmings. He's a skeleton racer. He's either mad or mad. Yes, indeed. Around the grounds we go to uh, Junction Oval in Melbourne and uh, it's the second ODI as part of the Women's Ashes series. Our Aussies have, have retained the Ashes. They can't lose the Ashes, but they, I'm sure, would love to win all three of the one day as they won the first and the second one. England batting seven for 96 off 37 overs, seven for 96. So uh, they've got a bit of work to do, a projected total of around about 131. If they're good enough, we'll keep you across that. Nice talking there to Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports um, about the Winter Olympics. And uh, I don't know about you, it, it is captivating. I, you just have to have to look at it, some of these events. And, you know, the Summer Olympics as well, obviously. Um, you know, this is not quite the Summer Olympics, but I love watching it. I'm sure a lot of people do as well. Um, different sports, very, very uh, brave, some of these athletes. And our next guest, um, I called him mad earlier. I didn't mean that, um, but I mean brave or mad or both. Uh, we're going to talk to a skeleton racer very, very shortly. Before we do that, just talking to Lockie McCurdy earlier, he was talking about the Aussie debutante Cooper Woods who reached the uh, the super final in, in the Moguls and took out sixth place. Um, he was just 0.02 of a point shy of finishing in the top five. So great effort, wasn't it, on debut. He posted 78.88 in his final run. And the winner, his name, good name, Walter Wahlberg. Walter Wahlberg took home a surprise gold medal with 83.23 points in the men's moguls. And Walter Wahlberg became the first Swedish mogul skier to win a medal at the Winter Olympics. Can you believe that? Um, I guess it's all Norway, isn't it? Uh, but the first Swedish uh, mogul skier to win a medal. All right. Okay. Let's stay with the Winter Olympics. Um, and we will talk more Olympics right throughout the show. Uh, joining us on the line now uh, is skeleton racer Nick Timmings. Nick, very good afternoon to you. Our time. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I think, uh, yeah, Matt is probably a good, uh, good uh, representation of what we do. So you don't you take no offence to that. Yeah, you've got to be half mad, uh, very brave uh, to get into to skeleton racing. For those um, that, that don't know much about the sport, we'll, we'll touch on that. Uh, firstly, though, when is your event? Uh, so we compete on the 10th and 11th of Feb, so in okay. just under a week. Under a week, a few days to go then. And, and uh, what, what time is it over there now for you? Uh, it is just after nine thirty here. Just after nine thirty. Okay, perfect. So yeah, three. There you go. Three hours um, uh, behind us. Righto. So um, you come from an athletics background. I think you played a fair bit of soccer as as a junior. How does a a young man from Perth um, get involved in skeleton racing? Please, please tell me how this all came about. Yeah. So I did. I did uh, enjoy soccer and athletics growing up. Um, and the reason for skeleton is uh, I do enjoy um, like snowboarding and winter kind of activities. So yeah. that's where the love of the cold came from. Um, but with skeleton, they require a sprint start. So an explosive start for about 30 to 40 metres is required to be mm. yeah, one of the top level athletes. So the athletics background came in handy there. And that, that's how it just started. And that's how I got into it. Not much snow in Perth, though. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> so... Um... Uh, your love of winter sports and the snow and stuff did you spend when did you leave Perth or are you still based over there 
Uh, so for the current season, I left Perth in early October. And uh, yeah, I'm currently in Beijing, just um, getting some training in before we compete. So what's the preparation for a, a skeleton racer look like? So you've got you know, three or four days before you, you, you start competing. Take us through what, what a day, an average day will look like over the next few days for you. Yeah, so it's depending on the timing of what, uh, what our track session, the, the, yeah, the sliding actually session starts. Um, so today we start at midday, so in about three hours' time. So I'll get to the track. Um, we get two runs per session. Uh, everyone does that. So I'll do my two runs. Maybe later this afternoon I'll do a, a light sprint session. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, generally that's pretty much what our day looks like with regards to training. I imagine the start, as you say, is, is it's all about an explosive start. And, and uh, how much of the race and the outcome of the race is down to getting a, getting a great start? Uh, so they reckon about 33% um, of your runtime is dependent on the start. Mm. The other the other parts are your equipment and then your driving ability down the track. So how, how long is the track? And, and firstly, how long is the track? And, and what sort of top speed are we looking at? Uh, so the track here is 1,615 metres. Uh, and it's, I think it's actually the longest track in the world. Mm. Um, and it takes us about uh, a minute three to a minute two to get down and uh we depending on the ice conditions we can get uh, up to i think about 128 k's here wow um have you had any stacks uh so the worst one i've had is over in canada i think it was about five years five or six years ago uh, i crashed and my foot got caught on the ice and i tore all the ligaments in my ankle um so i think that's the worst one i've had uh other than that it's just pretty much just like bruises and bumps and that yeah, just brush him off. I'm talking to skeleton racer Nick Timmings, whose event starts in Beijing in, in a few days' time. Um, so he's going through his, his last few days of preparation. Um, face down, face down. Uh, you're going at a hectic rate of knots, 120 k's, you reckon. So how do you control this thing? You've got your little, I don't know, what is it, like a little handbrake in the middle or, or what? Now, so there's no brakes on our sleds. Um, oh, the way we steer is with our sh- <laughs> yeah, we put our pressure on um, through our shoulders and knees, and that kind of bends the sled, and that's how we steer. My lord, my lord! So no, you, you had no serious accidents. That that that's good. How do you compete with the other big guns of this sport? Obviously, all the Europeans, and you say um, a lot of the outcome, and and I don't know. I'm sort of guessing here around about thirty percent of the outcome is maybe down to the equipment that you're on, and. Um, I guess it's a bit like Formula One cars in the, you know, the, the, the better the car, the better the performance, and but a whole lot of money needs to go into it. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, we, do, we definitely do struggle against some of these bigger nations, like uh, the ones who are going really fast here, the Germans, the Russians, the Latvians, yeah, all these European countries who yeah, spend a lot of time and resources in the sport, and, uh, yeah, they're getting the rewards for it, definitely. So, um, yeah, we do kind of struggle, but we, we've just got to try... Um, yeah, put our um, time and energy into things we can control. And, uh, yeah, obviously we've got to this point, so um, we're doing something right. Do you still get nervous? Do you get scared midway down or not? Or is that a thing of the past? Yeah, I don't think you get scared for, like, your safety and the speed you're going. I think it's more nervousness for, like, having a good run, having a clean run. Um, Yeah, but, like, the safety aspect, yeah, it's not there anymore. Hmm. And away from uh, away from the ice, uh, Nick. Away from the snow. Um, what other stuff do do you do in your spare time? 
pretty much when I'm back home, I'm just working and training. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't have a lot of spare time. But mm. yeah, when I do, I just because I live in Perth, I love love going down to the beach and just chilling out, having a coffee. And uh, yeah, yeah if, if if I'm at home, I'll just like watch TV and watch movies, and yeah, kind of just chill out as much as I can before. Uh, yeah, like like I said, work and training. No, it's a great part of the world over there in Perth. And welcome to any, any listeners in Perth that might be listening, uh, tuning in via the app. I used to actually be uh, well, I used to live over there myself for a number of years, and did a, a, a little bit of patrolling there at North Cottesloe Beach. It's a lovely part of the world, isn't it? So I, I know it very, very well. Yeah, but, it definitely is. But sadly for you, not much snow and uh, not much ice. Mate, good luck with everything. Um, I wish I wish you well. Is it just you or have we got any other skeleton races? Uh, in the men's field, it's just me. Um, we have a female skeleton slider, uh, Jackie, and she competes on the 11th and 12th. She mad as well? Yeah, I think we're all a bit mad, aren't we? <laughs> yes. No, I think we all are, mate. On a serious note, all the very best. I hope it goes uh, goes very well for you and you can compete with those um, those Europeans on the, the high-tech equipment. But uh, good luck, mate. We'll be watching with interest. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, everyone, back home. Good stuff. There he is, Nick Timmings uh, from Perth, and he is our, our lone male Aussie skeleton racer. Face down, 125 clicks. 1.6K is uh, the distance. Um, I guess it's the same track they use for the reverse, the luge, isn't it? That's, that's with your face up and, yep. and feet first. So, yeah. Which would you prefer? Well, neither, but... No. Yeah, pr- probably face up. Face up. Hey, listen, I want to continue this series on Dan Ain't Done. So Cowboy Dan is on the panel over there. He's the producer of this show, this great, this high-rating show. And open invitation for you guys and girls to join us. So there's a number of things that he has not done. He's a 30-something male. 31. 31, yeah, 30-something. And I think it's quite remarkable that he hasn't done a lot in life. So he's got um, two ways to look at this. Well, the only way to look at it, he's got a whole lot left in life to fulfill, you know? So, for example, and I'm throwing it open to our listeners, Dan, send me through some questions. Would you like me to ask Dan something, an activity, has he done this? Mm. Dan, have you have you skied before? Uh, I haven't, no. I would like to go to the snow. No, so there's a no. So have, no. Have, you, have you water skied? No, have you? Yes, yes, yes. Have you snow skied? No. No, right. So there are... Send them through anything you'd like me to ask Dan. Dan, have you done? For example, if you're just new to this segment, I'll just bring our listeners up to speed. He's never driven. Um, he's never ridden a horse. Um, he's never surfed. He's never fished. He's never played cards. And uh, now we know he's never skied. He's never played chess are you getting where I'm coming from, ladies and gents? This man, this young man, has got so much to look forward to in life. Send them through. Text 0457 736 736. Dan, have you done this? Yes? i tell you what I have done. I haven't played chess, but I played checkers. That's sort of similar to chess, uh, That's similar. Similar. Yeah. Not as good, I've heard. Uh, not as complicated. A bit easier. A bit easier is checkers. So you haven't played chess. All right, I've got a few I want to ask you as well. Please. Now, anything else relating to the world of sport, you might want to weigh into the whole uh, Justin Langer fiasco. Give me your thoughts on that. Give me your thoughts. I think it's absolutely laughable. And my goodness, what a tough act to follow. What's the new bloke do? What does the new bloke do? So how's your CV compared to Justin Langer? Well, well, give me time. Uh, give me time. We'll get some runs on the board. Speaking of which, eight up. Uh, there's another wicket. 
There's another wicket. The Aussies have taken a wicket. Uh, I'm just trying to see who was bowling. But nine for 107 now, England. Nine for 107 uh, with 10 overs remaining in that uh, second ODI. Uh, they won't need 10 overs. I'm a safe betting man. Megan Schutt looks like from behind. Or it might be Taylor McGrath, is it? Uh, no, bowling rather. Uh, it was McGrath. It was McGrath. So there you go. Nine for 107. One more to go. And uh, we will go into bat. So we'll keep you across that. And we'll also keep you across the latest from the Winter Olympics. And uh, we've got uh, Tess Cody coming up in action shortly in the women's snowboard slope style finals. We're going to talk some soccer as well. I'll bring you up to speed on all the results from the, the FA Cup overnight and a whole lot more. Uh, the, uh, the Cowboy Dan... Just, uh, before, before, yeah. Cowboy Dan is your nickname, right? Yeah. But you haven't ridden a horse. Uh, no. Ask hey. Jimmy about that. Um, would you like to see Justin Langer coach the England team? Yeah, bloody earth I would. I think it'd be great. Now, accept yeah. it. Let's go. Yep. I would love it. Oh, the interest in yep. next year's, uh, hang on, not next year's. Yeah, it would yeah, be. it is next year. Next yep. year's Ashes over there. Oh, fire that up. Hey. Promoter's dream. Sign him up now. Sign him up. Bring yep. it on. Love it. And good right. luck to JL. Thumbing your nose at a, um, a pitiful six-month extension. Uh, here's one here uh, from Jim. Dan, have you ever had... I can't ask that on live radio. We better take a break. Yes, Jim. And coming up to 12 minutes to one in here in Sydney and 12 uh, minutes to uh, midday uh, on the Gold Coast. Welcome to our listeners uh, throughout Queensland, whether it be via the app SENQ or uh, through SEN 1620 on the Gold Coast. Welcome uh, to you. I think there's a few showers about up there um, in and around the Gold Coast, surface paradise. And uh, not great, not a great day here in Sydney either. Top of around 24 degrees and very, very uh, windy. Um, Hold on to your hat. Mine got blown off this morning, actually, walking down to the beach. Had to go back and get it. That's how strong it was. It blew my hat off. Hold on to your hat. Hold on to your skis. Um, Winter Olympics, though, we will be right across that over the next few hours. And Tess Cody, uh, we're looking forward to seeing her in the uh, the women's slope style final, which is the event is underway. My God, these guys and girls, all these are girls at the moment, absolutely crazy. I'm just watching a bit of these highlights here on on Channel Seven. Um, gee, you've got to be. I say you've got to be brave. You've got to be brave or stupid or a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of both. So we'll keep you across that. And uh, Jakara Anthony, um, all eyes will be on her uh, tonight. Um, and hopefully she could end what would be, I think it's a 12-year drought, uh, 12 years since uh, an Australian woman has uh, claimed gold um, at the Winter Olympics. So let's just keep our eyes on that. Um, that's in the women's uh, moguls. I think about 10.30 tonight, so quite late. But uh, all eyes will be on uh, Jakara Anthony um, fourth, she was on her Olympic debut four years ago. Uh, she was just a teenager then, Victorian, and uh, now one of the very, very best in the world. So it could well be gold. Could be gold for Jakara Anthony tonight. And uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for Tess Cody in the women's snowboard slope style, slope style finals. Um which are underway as we speak. So I haven't got a, a leaderboard in terms of all the scores. It's only just began about 15 or 20 minutes ago, but we will keep you um, across that. And the ladies' cricket too, the women's cricket, our Australian women in the second Ashes One Day International. 
They've already won the first. They've already uh, retained the Ashes with an 8-4 lead. Uh, this is the penultimate event. Then they've got one more ODI to play. Uh, England batting, and the tail is wagging okay. Uh, they're 9 for 117. 9 for 117 with uh, just under eight overs uh, to bowl there. So we will keep you across that as well. Uh, Paul Wade, later on, former Aussie, uh, former Socceroos captain, is going to join us. We'll talk all things Socceroos and, and their predicament, dilemmas. Um, we'll go through uh, some of the FFA, FA Cup scores as well as the FFA Cup last night. Uh, Melbourne victory, well done to them, beating uh, Central Coast Mariners. A match they were expected to win, uh, 2-1 at Amy Park. Big turnaround, hasn't it? Good turnaround for victory. Uh, under Tony Popovich. Dan, you're looking at me and your lips are sort of just opening as if you're about to take a bite of something or speak. No, uh, speak. Uh, No, West Ham were very lucky overnight. They were losing 1-0 to Kidderminster and then got a goal in stoppage time and then it went to uh, to extra time and got a goal, I think, in the last minute of extra time as well. Would have been a shock result. Kidderminster, what division are they in? They must be in League 3 or something um, on on the pyramid. Uh, well, why don't I go through some of the scores now, shall I? Um, so, Frank, this is uh, in the FA Cup uh, fourth round. Frank Lampard made a winning start uh, to his Everton, Everton reign, uh, beating Brentford 4-1. Uh, what else have we got? As you say there, West Ham escaped with a 2-1 victory uh, over Kidderminster. Um, so that would have been, I'll tell you what, no, not fourth, sixth Tier. Yeah, six tier. Yep. Six tier. So yep. that's uh, so you got the English Premier League, then you got the Championship, then you've got League One, Two, Three, and Four. My God, fourth division. Yep. There so sixth been, tier, Kidderminster. Holy hell, hundred hundred and thirteen places below the Hammers. They are on the on the pyramid. What a win it would have been. There you go. Chelsea needed uh, extra time to scrape past Plymouth, um, League One team Plymouth. Um, so Chelsea winning there two one. That was at Stamford Bridge. I think I said earlier that Liverpool played last night. They're playing tonight, are they, Liverpool? They, they are at 11 p.m. I'll just find out who they're Okay. Playing. And then in a clash between uh, Premier League leaders, Man City, and the uh, championship leaders. Yeah. Um, Fulham. So Man City um, beat Fulham. Is that right? 4-1. 4-1 there. All right. And Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham. Harry Kane starred for Tottenham. 3-1 win against Brighton. And Liverpool tonight at 11pm, Chris, they play Cardiff City. All right. And Leicester City in action tomorrow morning early against Nottingham Forest. Beautiful. Uh, Huddersfield Town 1-0 over Barnsley. Norwich City beat Wolves 1-0. Peterborough 2, QPR 0. As I said, City beat Fulham 4-1. Chelsea 2-1 over Plymouth Argyle. And uh, West Ham uh, snuck home 2-1 over Kidderminster, uh, avoiding, sparing the blushes, as they might say, um, over there, 4-1, evident over Brentford. Uh, Crystal Palace, uh, 2, defeated Hartlepool, nil. Uh, and as they Tottenham Hotspur, 3-1 over uh, Brighton. Mm. Um, so, uh, 9 for 118, 9 for 118 in England. Uh, trying to uh, eke out a few more runs in the women's uh, second ODI Ashes International being played at Junction Oval in Melbourne. And the women's slope style final is underway. If you've got something you would like to ask Dan, Dan ain't done. Something Dan ain't done, and the list is growing longer by the day. Send them through. Um this one here from Drew. I'll read your uh, text in a bit, uh, Drew, about Justin Langer. But at the bottom, you said, um, 
Cowboy Dan, have you ever left the house? Well, yes, clearly he has because uh, he's here, here in the studio. Yeah, he's every here day in the studio. I leave the house. He leaves the house. Leaves the house. Mm. But there is a movie about, there's a few movies about people that don't lose the house. Anyway, keep them coming. Uh, what has Dan not done? And we'll read through those texts uh, throughout the next few hours. 0457 736 736 is the number. Chris Warren with you up until four o'clock this afternoon. Good afternoon, wherever you might be tuning in to SEN 1170 and uh, through the Gold Coast as well through 1620. A very good afternoon to you as well. Round the grounds we go. Um, second in one day international as part of the Women's Ashes uh, series. So three T20s, although only one was played, I think. Then the drawn Ashes. We won the first ODI, this the second at Junction Oval. And there's still the tail still wagging for England. Or oh, there's an outside edge, I think. That might be the last wicket. It is gone. Uh, so all out for 129, the English uh, women. 129 with uh, five overs. Uh, well, five overs to spare. So 45 overs. Gone is all that needed. We needed 129. Uh, so 130 for victory for our Aussie girls. We're going to be talking very shortly with Paul Dennett of uh, Cricket Unfiltered Podcast um, about all things cricket. And what I'll do, most of most of what we'll be talking about will be um, the Justin Langer dismissal. So you might have your thoughts on how it's all been handled at home. Uh, I'm keen to hear from you, uh, listeners. Feel free to um, pick up the phone and have your say. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy, or send those text messages through. How do you think it's been handled? I think it's been an utter disgrace myself, um, but that's me, and I'm well on the outside. I just don't think it's been handled well at all. Nor do I think the Tim Payne saga was handled particularly well. And when I hear the likes of uh, Ricky Ponting and, and Matthew Hayden also lashing out at Cricket Australia and the way it's been handled. Um, well, I feel quite okay in agreeing with those two greats of the game. Joining us now is Paul Dennett from um, a very good podcast, by the way, Cricket Unfiltered. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you, mate? Hey, Chris. I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. So um, where to now? Firstly, um, the way it's all been handled, I was saying earlier on, look, if, if you want Justin Langer to leave, well, why not just say go now? Why would you offer him a six-month extension in the first place? But uh, Cricket Australia, the governing body at the moment, I don't think they come out of this looking too well. No, you're 100% right. And that's exactly what they should have done. They were talking about it, saying, you know, we're going to look after this after the ashes. And that's fine for the, mm. public, um, for the public facing side of things. Behind closed doors, they needed to have made a decision and they needed to then act swiftly. And they knew that it was going to be a tough decision. They were either going to offend Justin Langer and lots of ex-players or upset the current playing group. There was no easy way out. They looked for the easy way out. It's almost as though they thought, we don't want to be the ones that sack him because if we go forward and lose in Pakistan and don't have a great few months, we're going to look like the fools who sacked a coach who just won a World Cup and emphatically won the Ashes. Mm. So they've insulted him. I mean, Offering a, a 15-month deal would have been bad enough, but offering a deal that was basically just to the end of um, this next upcoming World Cup in October, when his deal was already due to go to, to June, mm. um, there's nothing short of insulting and cowardly as well, because have the, have the guts to make the tough decision. Mm. You can't please everyone. Make the tough decision. Mm. And Pat Cummins, I mean, he's been criticised a little bit as well um, for the way that he's refused to back his coach. I'm just wondering how does how does Pat Cummins and, and how does his reputation is it is it been tarnished a little bit? Do you think or not? I think it has been, but only slightly. I think that um, he, I think it was a mistake for him to 
be in the media in those days leading up to it when he didn't need to be. Now, he has what I believe is to be a very blame of getting solar power, um, you know, a cricket ground. That's great. But they should have said, in, in the view of the situation, let's just wait a few days. The fact that he went on Sunrise and mm. uh, Koshy was kind of grilling him, he was put in a difficult position and he handled it well. But they then yeah. said, you know, you, you could go into politics afterwards. And that's all you want to hear um, mm. uh, about an Australian captain. I don't think it's terminal by any means, but it's a no. slight, um, slight uh, diminution of his reputation. Yeah, and look, I, I love Pat Cummins, and he's going to be he's going to be a wonderful captain for us going forward, no doubt. But he he too, I think, has come out of it looking a little bit, you know. I think it it comes down, and I'm reading between the lines, or I'm reading the tea leaves. I think Matthew um, Hayden was sort of saying, or Ricky might have been saying, it it comes down to a handful of players. A, a few players weren't happy with with Langer's style. And I believe Langer may have said, look, I think there might be a couple of staff members as well that weren't too happy with my style. But, you know, it was all, as far as I know, it was all corrected. They had the um, they had the sit-down meeting quite some time ago. It was all laid out on the table and he made, he made the required adjustments. And look what happened since. Success soon followed. So I would have thought that that would be enough to say, well, let's give this bloke another long-term deal maybe not a four-year deal but certainly more than six months well that's exactly what everyone in england's looking on and saying mm. I c- we cannot believe that you've just belted us in the ashes your coach was asked to make some changes he made those changes and now you're still getting rid of him but i think it does come down to just how strong the um dissatisfaction was in the playing group and I, yeah ricky ponting said that he believes that langer thinks it's only a small number Reading, you know, really good journalists mm. like Malcolm Conn, mm. I think it's um, possibly a little bit wide, a little bit more widespread than that. And then I think that the feeling was the volatility and the um, the, the mood swings and whatever else had mm. got to the point where enough had been enough. And look, he's done a great job. And I think that had he been, um, you know, had this ended in the way it should have ended, we would look back on the four years as, by and large, mainly success. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's going to always be sort of regarded about the way that it ended. And I think that's disappointing. And Langer deserved a lot more than that. Mm. We'll talk about his future in a moment and uh, and the likely replacements for him as well. Um, I was reading an article yesterday I touched on earlier. Uh, I think it was on Fox Sports' website. And you, you, you probably know a whole lot more about this too. So this this Amazon documentary, The Test, that, that we did, I don't know, when was that? A couple of years ago. And it, it says that Langer, uh, the players negotiated $41,000 more than he was getting. And um, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, putting it in a nutshell. Uh, he was a bit peed off by that and took, half a, took a team out there and a few of them started vomiting. He just absolutely gave it to him, caned him on the training uh, training field. Now, I don't know if you can join those dots, but uh, had you heard a similar type story? Well, certainly with regards to that deal, and if I was Langer, I'd have been annoyed as well because uh, <laughs> he was the star of the show. Um, mm. And but, but I don't think it's the player's fault. I mean, if they have a, a sufficiently sophisticated ability to negotiate and get double the money for everyone, including players like you know Michael Nisa, who was in it for all about... 30 seconds, mm. he earned double what Langer did. And it was Langer's performance that sort of made the documentary so successful. Langer should be angry at the, um, at the, at people other than the players. That's, that's not their fault. They're, they're only in it to um, negotiate for the best of their ability. I think he did regret that, that he got so angry at them for that because, but mm. it, you know, the anger was misdirected. Mm. All right. Well, where does JL go from here? I mean, it's pretty obvious, I think, that England will maybe offer him the top gig there. I mean, does he bite their hand off or or not? 
I wouldn't. I reckon he's. I think that one of the people talk about how he's not uh, cricketing coaching is very different to football coaching. Mm. But the other big difference is national team coaching is so much different to franchise coaching. If I was Justin Langer, I'd be going to the IPL. You're only um, you're mm. earning plenty of money. It's two or three months of the year. If you go to England, mm. um, the problem there is they just don't necessarily have the players. And you can be the, a, a fantastic coach, yeah. but there's every chance that they will fail no matter who their coach is. And then you're going to be absolutely excoriated in the media. Far better, go to a franchise where he can do what he did at the Scorchers and kind of, if there's one or two players that don't buy into what he wants to do, then get rid of them and buy someone else at the auction next time around. That's what I'd be doing if I was him. Mm. Well, plenty of plenty of senior players have, have really cashed in on the IPL for you know good cash, um, short-term commitments as well. Um, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Right, so Andrew McDonald is in the chair for the uh, for the moment. Um what do you think? And also, I thought they were going to break up the three formats and maybe have different coaches for each. But now it turns it turns out that they they were looking for just the one coach to uh, oversee things. Yeah, and I think they'd be happy to have McDonald. But whether he wants the job, that's another another point. That um, he'll be happy enough to go to, to Pakistan and do it temporarily. But he's got family. He's got um, IPL opportunities, um, mm. hundred opportunities as well, and so. They might find that he will say, I'm happy to bob in and bob out every now and again, but I don't want it to make it to, to be my full-time gig. He has rave reviews, but um, as Jaleesa Apps was saying on our podcast the other day, mm. it's very easy to love your assistant coach. You know, they can be the ones that um, you know, are hands-on and don't have to make the tough decisions. It's probably a little bit more difficult when suddenly you are the, the main coach and um, you do have to make those tough calls. But I'd be perfectly happy for him to take the job. I just don't know if he wants it. I'm talking to Paul Dennett of uh, the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Uh, Julissa Apps, as you've just mentioned there, does a, a fair bit of good work too on, on that. Mate, um, so uh, who do you think is the next man in waiting then? Uh, Trevor Bayliss, I think, is probably um, near the front of the queue. I think he's definitely being mentioned. Um, I think that Jason Gillespie uh, mm. is a chance as well. I think that those are the, probably the, the two favourites. Um, Interesting point by uh, Barrett Sunderayton, who's also on SCN, made the point that mm. no one is talking about someone like uh, Ravi Shastri uh, that had tremendous success with India, mm. yet we kind of have this view of Australian exceptionalism that, you know, we tried a foreign coach once with Mickey Arthur and that ended in tears. So yeah. um, we'll just look for an Australian now. So they don't look like they're looking abroad. I, you know, I was saying earlier on, I would love, and it will never happen. I mean, it will never happen. But Ricky Ponting, I would, I would love him to to take up that post. Gee, I think he'd be be great. But he hasn't held back, punter, has he? In in his um, uh, his thoughts on on the whole situation. No, I, I, I agree with you. He would be great. But the same with McDonald, that he's got too many better offers elsewhere. The Channel Seven gig and the IPL stuff. But I think at the very least, they should ensure that they get him involved. Um, in a mentoring capacity as, as he has done so far. Mm. And also with, with Langer leaving, I mean, uh, Gideon Haig made the point today that we're losing all of his ability, that um, they should have found a way to get him into some other job in Cricket mm. Australia because as things stand, that, that might be it. And I remember with Adam Voges, who was uh, a very good Western Australian player, that when, when Langer came on the scene, he turned him into a, a test player and had great success. He, he could be someone that could sort of mentor the next generation or do something. But um, as I said, as things stand, um, he's going to be lost to the system. And Ricky Ponting's uh, scathing words about Cricket Australia, I don't think all that many people have been disagreeing. Well, no. 
Not at all. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there'd be any anyone, any cricket fan that uh, doesn't just love Ricky Ponting, you know. And when he speaks, you've you got to listen. Um, Paul, let's uh, quickly look at the uh, the women's ashes then. So England have just posted 129 runs in, in their innings. We can't lose the Ashes, but I guess the Aussie girls, they'll they'll want to go for the whitewash, wouldn't they, in, in the um, the 50-over segment of the series? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we, we've had in the past where we had to uh, retain the Ashes by virtue of it being a tie, so we certainly don't want that. You'd say that Australia's got this game sewn up, but you just never know. And also, leading into the, the World Cup that's starting in uh, New Zealand um, in March, Australia's you sort of just expect that Australia win every World Cup. But the last 50 over World Cup, they got knocked out in the semi-finals and missed out on what was the biggest occasion in women's cricket to date, uh, where they had a massive uh, sellout at Lords, And they're, they're still pretty bitter missing out on that. They subsequently had the 86,000 at the MCG, but um, they're pretty determined. They're going to be playing England in the World Cup coming up. So there's plenty to prove for them. Just just back on uh, one other thing I, I meant to ask you too, back on Cricket Australia and, and its leadership, Leadership, and uh, maybe I'm losing that uh, using that term loosely, but uh, it's not for me to throw the stones. But if if I just read out, so Chief Executive Nick Hockley, who I've never met, um, you may well know him. Um, here's some of the things that he said in his statement. Okay, referring to Justin Langer, um, thanking him for his outstanding leadership. Um, he calls him a legend of the game and an outstanding individual, an outstanding coach. He restored trust in our team. These are all from Nick Hockley. Um, and we're extremely proud of his achievements since he, he took over in 2018. But then I read an article today in um, The Telegraph, and it's all talking about Hockley admitting that uh, Justin Langer was um, a figure of disunity. Do you think there might be change at the top at Cricket Australia soon? I don't think there will be, um, and I, I think that the problem with um, Hockley's statement is that it was on the back of him offering Langer an insultingly short term. That, um, and the thing is, if he really was a figure of such disunity, then why would they even offer him that, th- that short term? You know, the, exactly. the defence of the World Cup uh, is so important. If he's that bad, then don't offer him anything. That's where yeah. that annoys me as well. But I think that, um, that what would have been ideal is if he could have used all of those words and say, and we are now proud to announce that Justin Langer is going to be um, and whatever newly created position to keep him um, in the mm. family, make it all happy. Mm. Because maybe his time was up. Um, mm. You know, four years, he's done a, a great job. Things have changed. It may be for the best that he is leaving, but just under these circumstances, no one's happy with it. And I wish, uh, you know, if they had their time again, uh, maybe they might have thought about the timing of inducting him into the Hall of Fame as well <laughs> a few weeks ago. That was hilarious. Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's, it's a dog's breakfast. It really is. Paul Dennett from Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. Paul, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, enjoy your afternoon. Go on you, Chris. Great stuff. Good fella. Paul Dennett. And, uh, yeah, Cricket Unfiltered is the podcast if you want to check it out. Now, from uh, cricket to the slopes and uh, the slopes in Beijing. Yes, I know it's fake snow, but that doesn't matter. Round the grounds we go. Cowboy dancer, where are we up to? Young Tess Cody's in action. Yeah, and after two runs, is in third place. Uh, final run coming up in around about 10 minutes, but definitely a medal chance sitting in third position at the moment. Is she? Okay, so that's the women's snowboard uh, slope-style finals. And yes. uh, I'm just watching some of these pictures up there. Oh, be wow. brave to do it. You do. Um, I've never done it here. Something I've never done. No. I've never um, put on a snowboard. I haven't done it. No. No. Don't think I could. And especially doing what they're doing.
It's yeah. amazing. Absolutely. All right. Well, fingers crossed for uh, Tess Cody, and we will keep you uh, across that. Uh, we're going to be talking football very shortly, too, with former Socceroos captain Paul Wade. And obviously, we'll keep you across the cricket. Uh, the second ODI being played at Junction Oval in Melbourne and all the events from Beijing. This is Sports Central. You're listening to Sports Central on SEN. You are indeed. 20 past uh, one in uh, Sydney and uh, 20 past midday up there on the Gold Coast through SEN 1620. Hope you're enjoying your afternoon and uh, stick with us right up until four o'clock. Loads more to come. We're across the women's cricket, the Ashes' second one day. We're across the uh, the snowboarding final at the moment, the women's snowboard slope style finals and uh, Aussie Tess Cody is going pretty well. I think she's sitting um, third after her uh, second run in the final. So we will keep you across that. If you want to have your say, feel free to pick up the phone. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the number. Uh, Harry's on the line from Belmore. Good afternoon, Harry. He's put us on hold. What happened there? Oh, Harry, d- dump Harry. Dump Harry, we're going to come back to you. I'm not going to the uh, music on hold, waiting music. Harry, okay, we're running the show, my dear friend. We'll talk to you shortly. Uh, Paul Wade, though, former Socceroos captain, is on the line. It's a very good afternoon, Wadey. How are you, mate? Christopher, how rude is that? You must be shocked, <laughs> treated with such contempt. I know, it's the tail wagging the dog here. Right. Anyway, he's a great, he's a great fella, Harry. Um, he's one of our re- regular listeners out there. He's in a nursing home at Belmore, so uh, maybe they've put oh, him God on hold. Yeah, God bless him. So yeah. We'll talk to him actually um, in a moment after we, we finish with you, and he wants to talk about some leadership issues from years oh. gone by. Uh, let's start with the Socceroos. I mean, we know it was a disappointing week for them. Um, the coach is under increasing pressure. Just take us through. I'll ask you, I will ask you the question at some point, Paul, will they make the World Cup? But if you can, just take us through the process now for them to qualify. Right. Just say they don't beat Japan and Saudi Arabia and we finish third. There are two groups of six. So the third in the one group, which is us, Australia, will play third in the other group. Now, at the moment, it looks like it's the United Arab Emirates. Mm. So it's a one game, one off game. uh, And that's it in somewhere in the Middle East. Mm. If we win that, we play the fifth best team in South America in Qatar, one game only. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so, do you remember all those uh, yeah. the games against Scotland and Argentina and Iran and the ones we lost by a goal? And mm. wow, let's hope it's not as stressful as that game against Uruguay when we qualified for the first time, mm. winning a penalty shootout. We don't need that, do we? No, we don't. We don't. We don't. But uh, oh my goodness! But however, am I right in saying, look, the, the you know. Um, our fate is in our own hands. If we were to win these next two remaining qualifying games, are we guaranteed a, a direct entry? If we beat Japan and Saudi Arabia, because our goal difference is yeah. sensational, really. We, uh, we've scored 15 and conceded six. Japan have scored nine and conceded three. So they are very, very tight at the back. They don't score as many goals, but 
with that advantage, if we can beat both of them, it's still in our hands. Yeah. But to try and beat Japan, who might come here looking for a draw, but then to go to Saudi Arabia, top of the com- uh, top of the group, and beat them over there, that is a big ask. Honestly, Chris, if we qualify from where we are right now, mm. uh, yeah, put a tax lotto ticket on. Mm, absolutely. Um, we're both desperate, obviously. You know, I'm I'm not a soccer um, rusted on soccer fan. Rugby league's my go, but I obviously, and I've said many times before, I watch a bit of A League, Sydney FC. I follow them, but when there's a World Cup on, I am glued to the set. Any soccerers game, you've got me. And I reckon the same can be said. <laughs> the same can probably be said for a lot of other sports fans in this country. Not even just sports fans, but when the soccerers are playing at a World Cup, it's must watch TV. Um, Gee, it would be so disappointing for, for the game as a whole and for the finances as well uh, if they don't get there. Oh, the finances. There's big questions there, eh? All that money that the Socceroos will miss out on. With the uh, the Matildas not winning the Asian Cup, which were we were expected to by ourselves and by everybody else, there's $1.4 million that has uh, just passed us by. So, yeah, it is so important that we keep the funds coming through because to qualify for a World Cup, not only have we had to travel all over the world, but we've had to pay for the players to uh, who have missed out on a whole lot of money. And they deserve to be paid playing for the Socceroos. But I totally agree. What is it what about our national team when we play? I think if you're actually on the inner sanctum of football, a lot of people in this family, we judge our whole structure, our development on our Socceroos and Matildas performances, mm. which is quite amazing. We go, like if we don't qualify, everyone will be standing up going, well, all the processes we have in place are not good enough. We have a skills acquisition program. It obviously doesn't work. It's really weird how people just play the blame game. And usually it's Football Australia that will cop it. Mm. Uh, so uh, what am I reading into those comments, Paul? I, I... I'm hearing from others, you know, around the game, very close to the game, and and quite often you hear it. The game needs a restructure from grass to roots to the to the top of the pyramid. Things are not right. Um, registrations are too expensive for our children. Pathway programs, uh, the right ones are not in place. And I don't know what to read into that because I'm not involved heavily enough in the sport. Do you think the sport as a whole in this country does it need modifying the structures and and the people in charge? It's a very interesting question, Chris. And honestly, it keeps haunting me. Throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And it just gets, all right, I must agree. When it comes to how we bring uh, under nines, which is where we start identifying them in a skills acquisition program, Mm. if, if they have to pay three grand for one season, mind you, everyone will say, yeah, but that's only $10 a session. Uh, Three grand is a lot of money if you haven't got it. You know, and there's a lot of kids who can't afford it and are brilliant footballers. So I think that's got to be fixed. We all agree on that. There are doubts as to whether that program is in line with, you know, providing those exceptional, carefree footballers. I don't think it is, but don't start changing it so much that there are no boundaries anymore. Once we do that, we'll go out there thinking we are Brazil and we'll get hammered. 
as a as a country we should be a little bit structured we know the work ethic can come back because a lot of people are blaming that for the reasons we're not winning oh we're not mm. mentally tough enough there's no resilience there you know the debate will rage forever but somebody will just say yeah it's all about the development of the kids it's all gone wrong mm. Well, I mean, when when the Socceroos are in the shop window, and I'm talking about eyeballs on them, you know, um, casual fans like myself and all the Matildas are, I guess that's all we see is the, the top of the tree. I've got a couple of, of kids that sort of, uh, well, a few, I've got three kids actually, but uh, they play rugby league mostly, but have also played a bit of soccer as well. And I've got to say, in terms of registrations and that sort of stuff, um, the soccer is a lot more expensive. <laughs> it is. You're right. I don't know why, to tell you the truth. Although, you know, I will put this to you. When the NRL and the AFL, how many teams do they have to support? Mm. See, in those two codes of football, the money comes down. Do you know what I mean? The mm. the NRL get their you know, television rights and the money eventually comes down. With the Socceroos and Matildas, with football in general, yeah. the money has to come from grassroots going up to pay for that. Yeah. And that is a very difficult thing. I don't know. We've got over 10 national teams. We've got Ollie Roos, Socceroos, Matildas, mm. Young Matildas. We, you know what I mean? It's, mm, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's not as easy as to say, oh, it's way too much, full stop. No, no. we've got reasons why it costs. Yeah, well, and you need the you need the Socceroos and Matildas doing well. You need the broadcast revenue, and you hope that sort of more of that will trickle down to the grassroots and help um, help pay for some of those registrations, etc. Which brings me back to the other point I mentioned: how how costly for the bottom line for for Football Australia if they fail to make the World Cup. <laughs> and I don't that know if you could put a figure. Of... I don't know if you can put a figure on it, Paul. No, no, we can't. But you know what? I will reference the Matildas uh, going into the Asian Cup. Top-ranked team, you know, supposed to win it. Made every semi-final mm. uh, that they've played in. We haven't been there. Won it in 2010. There were so many positives. We didn't win it. There's $1.4 million, as I said. That money goes to paying for camps to bring the girls in to a camp two weeks to prepare them now Without that $1.4 million, the FA have got to go now and find it somewhere else because we've got the World Cup shared with New Zealand next year and the preparation of our Matildas in whatever way uh, Tony Gustafsson wants has mm. got to be paid for. It's, it doesn't seem like a lot of money, 1.4, but if you haven't got it, it is. Mm. Um, just... Um... Yeah, I mean, disappointing for the Matildas. Uh, soccer is coach Graham Arnold. Uh, what sort of pressure do you think he is under, and uh, do you think it's justifiable? I remember a Brazilian coach said to uh, a journalist one day, he goes, you can be the most skillful team in the world, you can juggle a ball a million times, you can score lots of goals, and you'll concede lots of goals, but the, the key to success is handling that pressure of expectation. Do you know what I mean? When, mm. when the crowd, when the media, when the coaches mm. in the structure demand you to make that uh, transition to the World Cup, it's dealing with that pressure. Graham Arnold has been around a long, long time. He knows, just like Ange Postacoglu, yeah. and the, the crap that he had to put up with, mm. Graham Arnold's been around as a footballer, as a coach, successful with Sydney FC, uh, to realise that, you know what? 
I'm going to get sacked anyway, mm. whether I qualify. And this is me talking. This yeah, is yeah, not yeah. facts. He goes in with that attitude that, you know what, my players and me are going to give absolutely everything. We're going to sacrifice our families and our mm. wages or whatever to get there. But if I don't, it's not the end of the world. And don't worry about what they're writing in the newspapers. As a journalist, you're writing an article to sell a newspaper, so to speak. You know, I'm going back mm. in time when it was um, dollars and cents. But that's why they're there to sell newspapers. Graham Arnold is there purely to coach a team. Don't worry about all the crap they're going to write and say. Mm. The reason commentators are commentators, Chris, mm. is because they can't coach. <laughs> they have absolutely no idea how to fix problems. That's why it's such a cushy job, mm. being a commentator. You know, they don't make mistakes. It's all opinion. Well, let's see them put on a session with the Socceroos with only three days of the players together. Mm. Some of them have had COVID. Some of them are injured. Some of them are not playing well. Let's see them solve those problems. Mm. So, yeah, I know I'm passionate about it, but I'm a big supporter of all all coaches. Wadey, hey, we know you're the, passionate about it, and that's that's, hey? that, that's exactly why you're on here talking to me right now. We, <laughs> we love we love your passion, and, and I love the passion too of Graham Arnold. And he has... He's got he's got a number of points on the board. His track record, we know he's a good coach, but he is the sort of guy, isn't he, that I think can handle that pressure of expectation, Graham Arnold, and uh, just just sort of brush out the media um, side of things. And look what Ange's gone on to do. I mean, um, oh, great guns, isn't it? Oh, it's brilliant. I said to somebody yesterday that I remember when Ange, I think it was Oakley. He took over in the Victorian State League, for example, one of his first coaching jobs. Mm. And the first thing he said to the players in the dressing was, right, rule number one, nobody can be fatter than me. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a simple thing. Well, he's developed, he's won absolutely everything, including the Asian Cup. He's gone to the World Cup. Uh, Anyone who was there at the MCG when uh, the uh, Melbourne Victory played Liverpool in front of 95,000 people, it was only a friendly, but there's a lot of pressure uh, that comes with that. Ange Postacoglu has just believed in his philosophy. If he's got players who are not willing to work hard, he just gives them the flick. You, you and you. Didn't yeah. work hard enough, get out. Oh, yes. And I thought, if you really believe in the way you want to play football, and he's done that with Celtic, he's gone, right, these are the players I want. Rule number one, I buy my own players. Mm. You don't tell me who I'm going to buy. Yeah. I'm the boss. Yeah, and then, you know, look at him. Look what he's doing now. Oh, tough gig up there in Glasgow, and uh, I've spent a bit of time in Glasgow myself, so I know what an old firm game is like. So he's doing really, really well. Melbourne victory. Hey, uh, quite a resurgence, hasn't it been? And uh, well done to them taking out the F- FFA Cup. Yeah. Good on Tony Popovich. It's almost like he goes everywhere he goes, he yes. gets success. I don't know what. Maybe you should write a book or we should all go and watch training sessions. I know when I was commentating for uh, ABC, when he first took over the Western Sydney Wanderers, um, I was co- I was commentating with Debbie Spillane and mm. you know Mike Cockrell and all these guys, and we got the team sheet and it was completely different to last week. There was no consistency. So maybe it's a matter of changing the teams around, keeping players on edge, and they guarantee you're playing next week. But he's taken them from an wooden spooners. Yeah. Well, mind you, they're 
the team wasn't playing in front of crowds because if they were, they might have been held to pay. But to do what he's done already, you think, how does he do it? Absolutely. Yeah, well, success does follow uh, Popovich. I think he, he obviously uh, can coach a bit as well. Paul Wade, thanks for joining us, mate. Always a pleasure and uh, love, I love listening to uh, everything you've got to say. Good on you, Christopher. See ya. Bye. Great stuff. There he is, uh, former soccer skipper Paul Wade, doing still some really good things for uh, football in this country. I think we better take a break. Um, we'll get you back across that uh, that snowboard action too from the Winter Olympics and get a, a track on how Tess Cody is going. Keep those text messages coming through. I will get through them, I promise. Um, and I'll try and get through a few after this break. 0457 736 736. And great to have your company, 20 to 2 in New South Wales, 20 to 1 in Queensland. Hope you're enjoying Sports Central. Chris Warren with you for the next couple of hours or so. Cowboy Dan is over there on panels. Uh, and keep those uh, text messages coming through. Uh, Dan ain't done. There's a lot of things, this young man, 31 years of age, and he still is not done. He hasn't driven a car, hasn't ridden a horse, hasn't surfed, hasn't fished. Is there something else you'd like me to ask Cowboy Dan um, to put on his uh, list? Yes, yeah, Cowboy. Yeah, just wanted to update you with Tess Cody. Please do. Uh, currently sitting in third position after her third run. So the whole event hasn't finished yet, but at the moment in line for a bronze medal. Absolutely. Well done. Um, so, well, hopefully she can stay there or go even better. That's in the women's snowboard slope style finals. Um, so we will keep you across that. So we're going to stay with the Winter Olympics uh, right now. We're crossing live to Beijing, and uh, joining us on the line is uh, Aussie mogul skier um, James Matheson. James, thanks very much for joining us, mate, on SEN. G'day, Chris. How's it going? Mate, really well here. Um, I, I guess disappointment for you, but also congratulations on just being there in Beijing. This, am I right in saying, is your second Olympics? Yes, it is. It's my second Olympics and definitely a little bit of disappointment. But at the end of the day, you know, that's just sport. And, and to be here and representing Australia is, is mm. always an amazing one. We'll talk about the event in a moment. If we can just backtrack a little bit, James, for, for our listeners. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, where, where you grew up and, and how you got into skiing and, and how you became so good at it? For sure. It's always a, it's always a funny question. And people get, uh, we get like funny looks coming from Australia when we're traveling around the world. People are always surprised when we say we're uh, the you know, winter team from Australia, but I grew up in Sydney, uh, but I was just lucky enough to uh, go on some family holidays to the snow down at Perisher and Threadbow. Um, and then just like a lot of other sports, you kind of just go through the club system. Um, but it wasn't until I was probably just about to finish school that I realized you could actually make a career out of it. Um, and then I guess, you know, the rest, I've just blinked and it's two Olympics later. It's pretty weird to be honest, Chris. And, and your performance um, last night, I mean, what were your expectations going, going to Beijing? Um, look, it's been sort of a battle just getting here in general. So first of all, I was happy to be here and represent Australia. But, you know, once you're there, you want to be getting, you want to be doing better than you've done before. So I've, mm. um, at this level of competition, I've come, my best result is a sixth place. So you always want to do better than that. I always wanted to get a top 10 at the Olympics, but... It wasn't to be last night, but you know what? It's, I'm still happy you know, to be here and, and to do a pretty good run. How difficult is it for an Aussie skier, um, given that uh, you know, the other, uh, the European superpowers, if you want to call them that, um, much better conditions for them. Do you spend a lot of time overseas training or, or, or here? Yeah, it is hard, and especially under COVID. So we've had to spend a mm. long time away from home. 
um, under these last two years, we've basically just been living overseas, but then in a perpetual bubble, basically just hiding uh, mm. from, from COVID and just living and training. Uh, but yeah, in general for Australians, it is harder. Um, you know, it, it costs a lot more for us than them. It's, you know, it's not necessarily in our backyard like it is for them. Um, but I think that sort of, I guess, harder beginnings actually makes us a stronger team in the end. And we punch well above our weight mm. um, in comparison. So I think the Aussie team, you can see it probably, hopefully it comes through on the TV. We've got a lot of strong camaraderie and we're a pretty strong team. So, you know, mm. as you can see, Tess Cody's hopefully in line for a medal. I'm fingers crossed for her right now. She's awesome. Um, and we've definitely got some strong metal hopes coming up soon. Yeah, absolutely. We've got our eyes on, on, on Tess Cody now. I think she's sitting in, in third position currently still. Um, I'll talk more about your team and men's and women's, the, the moguls, I guess. Uh, do you sort of stick together? You, you cruise across different uh, disciplines and, and you guys are part of the moguls team. You sort of form a bit of a pact or um, is it the whole, the whole Olympic team that sort of there's no divisions? Oh no! Well, first of all, definitely no divisions. Yeah. Everyone's one team. I mean, who do you hang with? Who do you team. who do you go with a coffee with? Is it part of the moguls <laughs> team, or do you go with the curling crew? Well, definitely the mogul team. You know, I've grown. We've we've grown up together. Basically, we're we're yeah. quite a small community, so we've all grown up together. We're all actually, you know, best mates, and so that's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Um, but also because our sports are quite different, we do spend a lot of time away from each other, and so the Olympics is one of the only times we actually do get to meet a lot of these other teams from, you know, the Australian winter um, cohort. Mm. And so it is actually a pretty cool time to actually go and hang out with them. And, you know, in Oz HQ here in the Olympic village, we've got, you know, a barista here, which I can tell you the rest of the, uh, the rest of the countries around the world are pretty, oh. are pretty jealous of. And so that's a good time for us to all actually hang out. Oh, mate, I'm, and, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm and, envious uh, too. I'm envious too, James. I would, I would kill. Well, I wouldn't kill. I get locked up for that. I would love a coffee right now. <laughs> hey, one of your teammates, Matty Graham. Disappointment for him. Um, you know, rating silver medalist. Um, he expected a whole lot more. It was reduced to tears on telly last night. We all saw that back home. But um, have you spoken to him this morning? How is he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Matt is an icon. Um, you know, in Australian winter sport, and you know, for him to get the silver medal in the last Olympics was awesome. And that's sport at the end of the day, Chris, you know, like it, it, it's, that's what makes those high times so special is because that, you know, they don't happen very often. Um, but I have, you know, I'm, I'm sharing an apartment with Matt and, mm. you know, I was with him all last night and also this morning and, you know, he's up first thing this morning supporting Tess Cody. So, you know, he swallowed it, you know, like the true champion that he is. And, you know, he's, um, he's, he's going to bounce back harder, I think, but you know, at the end of the day, that's sport, and um, but he's a, he's a true champ, Matt. And not just sport. I mean, in this sport that you have chosen, um, anything really can happen on the night, can't it? And I know that's a bit cliched, but um, there's so much room for error in moguls. And let me ask you too, I mean, I'm sort of comparing what I see on the moguls, your knees, I don't know how many injuries you, you have had, but you must have great sort of suspension or shock absorbers, like a, like a four-wheel drive going over the dunes. Mate, I wish I did. I, t- I tell you what, my back's getting pretty sore and I'm only 26 years old and mm. it's not doing so well. So there's not, there's not many mogul skiers over the age of 30 and that's for a good reason. It looks, I don't know if we make it look smooth or not on TV, but it's a pretty brutal sport. But I guess that's one of the things that we love about it as well, of how hard it is. You had many injuries over the years? Uh, I've had quite a few, but most of them when I, when I was young and reckless, to be honest, just doing stupid things. Now that I've become a professional, um, I've actually tried to avoid that. Um, and, and they're more sort of just wear and tear injuries, thankfully. But, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you saw Taylor O'Neill 
she's had three knee reconstructions over the course of her career and unfortunately did her um, ACL, her third ACL, right before these Olympics. And she still mm. went out there and tried to compete. Um, and that just sort of shows the heart that she has. And yeah, wow. unfortunately, she couldn't, you know, in, in the training leading up to these Olympics, she, she looked like she'd be able to do it. But then one of the training days, she ended up injuring it a little bit more. And so she wasn't able to actually do the run that she could have done. But she still pushed out of the gate and became an Olympian. And after all the hardship that she's been through, she definitely deserved it. Mm. I'm talking to James Matheson, Aussie mogul skier. And I know you want to go and watch Tess Cody as well in this uh, final of the snowboard women's um, slope style. Just looking ahead to tonight, you talked about Jakara Anthony, Brittany Cox also in action in the women's moguls. And I'm not sure, is Sophie Ash, she's still got to qualify, hasn't she? Yes, she. Uh, so she does, but she's also already in right now. So she's currently cool. sitting in 13th place and the top 20 go through. So it would be very unlikely for her to get knocked out. So it's looking like we'll have three Aussie women going through to the final. So it should be an epic night ahead. And, you know, Britt is at her fourth Olympics. She's, you know, a reigning world champion from a few years ago. So she's, you know, got a bright, bright look tonight. And then obviously Jakar has been an absolute beast this season, winning events. And she's currently in first place in the qualifier. So, you know, fingers crossed for her. Well, James, I just want to say thanks, mate, for taking time out. I know it's busy over there for you, even though your event, your discipline is, is finished for you. You want to go and support your teammates. We'll let you do that. Um, I appreciate you joining us on SEN 1170. All good, Chris. Let's go test. Great stuff. All oh, that rhymes too. Perfect stuff. There he is. And speaks so well, doesn't he? James yeah, Matheson. Yeah, I tell great. you what, he's a good spokesman, isn't he, for the, the Winter Olympic sports? Speaks really, really well. And good on him. And... Um, Good on Tess Cody, too. We'll keep you across that um, as it uh, unfolds over there in Beijing. Um, we're going to get Harry. Harry's been trying to get through as well, Harry from Belmore. So yes. can you make sure in the break we try and get through to the receptionist at the, the nursing Definitely home? And the I want minutes, to get yeah. straight through to the um, the bat phone. Okay? Do you? Yep. I do okay. indeed. And keep those text messages coming through as well. If you'd like to ask Dan, has he done something? Because there's a whole big long list of things that Dan ain't done. 0457 736 736. And I hope you're well. Let me know what you're up to out there. I don't know if it's still windy. It was bloody awful this morning, I tell you. It was like uh, blowing a gale where I was. Uh, it still looks to be pretty windy out there as well in Sydney. And again, uh, welcome to our listeners up there on the Gold Coast through SEN 1620. And wherever you might be, you could be anywhere anywhere in the world, really. You could be on any planet listening to us via the SEN app. Uh, just around the grounds we go to the uh, the second one day or as part of the Women's Ashes series. And uh, England batted first. I'm just looking at this scoreboard here on the TV. They haven't got what England got. It was 129, I think I'm right in saying, wasn't it? 129? Yes, I think it was 129. Yeah. Uh, so Elisa Healy's on six off uh, 15 balls. Rachel Haynes, 10 off 19 balls. So uh, we need only 113 runs off, uh, what is it, 266 balls. So they could do that with their eyes closed, you would think, at a run rate of about 2.5. You would think that this uh, second one day is in the bag. Tess Cody has won bronze. Tess Cody, there you go. Medal for an Aussie at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. The slope style finals. Well done to Tess Cody taking out the bronze. Always helps if you turn your microphone on, Chris. Turn your microphone on. We're talking to Paul Wade, former Socceroos captain earlier. Uh, enjoyed everything, uh, listening to Wadey. And you, you can you can talk to him for, for hours. You really could. But he was he was sort of saying um, the sort of pressure that coaches of all sports are under. And one of the greatest challenges as an elite coach is to sort of 
uh, be able to handle the the weight of expectation and also be able to um, you know pick and choose I guess uh, the messages you take from from media um, and we spoke about Graham Arnold and, and and how I think he is quite resilient Graham Arnold but the the question I pose um, is who would be a coach who would be a coach in light of the treatment that uh, Justin Langer has copped and uh, he's gone, Justin Langer, and he thought, no, stuff you lot. You want to give me a six-month extension. You want to describe me as being outstanding, 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 um, but also you want me out of the place because um, I'm causing frictions and disunity within the playing group. So why the hell offer me a six-month contract if you want me gone? Anyway, um, who would be a coach? Yeah, they are paid handsomely, but I reckon there'd be a whole lot of uh, quite a few sleepless nights uh, for coaches, elite coaches across across all sports. Um, we tried to speak to one of our open line corner callers earlier. He called in. We couldn't take his call. So uh, we called him back. And that number, by the way, if you want to have a chat with me, um, Chris Warren with you, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Harry from Belmore. So uh, we called Harry back and uh, Harry put us on hold. <laughs> he put us on hold. So anyway, he's there now. Good afternoon, Harry. How are you, champ? You know, Chris, I just got a phone call to say Warren Woodcock, the tennis player turned bookmaker, passed away. Yes, yes. I played against Warren in Blackwell Cup. That would have been about 1957. Uh, Warren, in his bookmaking, he opened a Lloyd Williams horse at 100 to 1, and the stable had 50,000 on it. He has set them five million to fifty thousand. Wow. Uh Warren, I first met him down at Canberra where he won the tight title down there and he got a trophy to the value of two guineas. Yeah. How things have Big changed. Time. How things have changed. When I won the junior boys at Harden, I got a check for ten shillings and sixpence. Big deal. But on uh, Justin Langer, Malcolm Cliff, when he left Canterbury, said coaches are waiting. Uh, some are sacked and some are waiting to be sacked. Yeah, well, that's... He said it, nothing's permanent. That's a, that... I saw Langer and Hayden. They were all right. But for the coaching job, Ricky Ponting, he's got to get it. When he was captain, his field placings were terrific. You couldn't score off them. But uh, the only thing that I had about Langer was his mate Graham Marsh always with him and always picked his sons. Uh, Mitchell Marsh, when he was bowling, you could hear him in the next state. He was so cumbersome. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, and you talk about coaches, Harry. I mean, as I say, they get paid a fair fair quid, not like uh, you used to get paid also in your tennis days as well. So Warren Woodcock, and our, our thoughts go out to the Woodcock family as well. Um, a really good tennis player too, wasn't he? Well, he made Davis Cup a uh, uh, squad. He never played, but he mm. liked Ken Roseville. He had a very weak serve, but he had marvellous ground strokes. And um, when I, I only played against him, in doubles, that's when Blackwell Cup was real big. Warren Jake's one of them. He went over to Wimbledon. Now he's looking after the courts and all yeah. over there. And I played Warren in uh, 52. 
Yeah. We're all getting old, mate. Well, we are. It's inevitable. But, Harry, uh, you're still very, very youthful, mate. It's always good to chat to you. And thank you for that lovely letter you sent me a few weeks ago. I, I have read through it, mate. It's a fascinating life story, yours, and uh, you're always always welcome to pick up the phone. Have a good afternoon. Thank you, Chris. Great Bye. Time. There he is, Harry. Goodbye, mate. He's a lovely, lovely fellow. He's a gem. He's a, he's a, he's a gem. He's Harry. Um, and always happy to, to pick up the uh, the line when he calls. If you'd like to have your say, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. You might like to talk about the Winter Olympics, um, cricket. You might like to talk about the way Justin Langer has been treated. You might think it's A-OK. You might think, well, you know, he's done his four years um, and that's all he was really guaranteed. Um, I just think it's been handled Pretty bloody poorly myself. Timmy Manor's going to join us a bit later on in the day, I believe. Yeah, about 3.30 he'll be joining us. Okay, and Billy Dibb's going to join us too uh, this hour, I believe, a bit later on, maybe uh, in about half an hour or so. We'll talk some boxing uh, with the great Billy Dibb, um, and we'll keep you across uh, the cricket too, the second one-day Ashes uh, match being played in Melbourne at the moment. And just as I look up the scoreboard, they have gone to, uh, to an ad break. Um, but uh, it looks like we're in, in cruise control there. Um, 0457 736 736 um, is the, the text line if you'd like to send through um, some text messages. This one's Steve from Padstow. Good afternoon to you, Steve. G'day, Chris. Um, the WNRL are trialling forward pass technology this season. Hope it works because some are just... Um, well, blatant, I think, is what you meant to say there. Well, uh, I was reading yesterday, uh, Steve, that they actually uh, did start trialling some um, mechanisms la- at the end of last year, but we didn't know about it in games that obviously the outcome of which didn't have to affect the finals or anything like that. So I'm not quite sure about the um, the technology being used. I believe there's two different suppliers and it's quite expensive stuff. I mean, I remember saying years ago... Um, you know, and I've been calling the games for a while, and sometimes you do just get blatant forward passes. I think to the casual observer, um, they might deem a forward pass to be forward when it's actually not. The key is looking at the hand. So a ball can actually travel forward, but it needs to be passed in a backward direction, right? And that's all about physics and inertia. Um, so look at the hands. If it's passed backwards out of the hands, it doesn't matter where it lands. It could land five metres in front of where it was passed. It's travelled forward, but in a backward motion. So oh, I was saying during commentary, put a bloody chip in the ball. Sort of a throwaway line, to be honest. It was about five years ago. I can't remember who I was calling with. And they said, you're mad, you are, Warren. But that's what they're going to do, I believe. That's one of the um, one of the things they're, they're looking at doing, a, a microchip. As long as it doesn't make the game more stop-start. Well. We'll wait and see. Can't guarantee it no. won't. But um, did I also read today, well... I'll read it now. Let's do this as we speak. Let's do it on the hop. Um, judiciary set for an overhaul as Peter Volandi strives for fair perceptions. This uh, article by Travis Main in the Daily Telegraph today. Uh, the NRL's controversial judiciary system is set for a major shakeup after Peter Volandi's declared the game must fix one of its most polarising issues. Well, that's good that it is um, set for an overhaul. It needs some work. Um, I think time and time again... Yep. Um, time and time again, we would have different varying charges given for, for different indiscretions. Mm. Um, so it was just a bit hard to follow how someone could go to the judiciary and cop, say, three weeks for that, but this bloke over here copped eight weeks for it. 
And it's all to do with loading and, and, and behavior and, and, you know, your, your track record. Mm. It's all a little bit confusing, um, but at least they are looking at it. So I guess we, we hear this most years, don't we, that it will be improved. Uh, this article by Travis Main goes on. A group of influential figures are in the final stages of completing a review into the current judiciary system with an overhaul possible before the 2022 NRL Premiership kicks off next month. The Match Review Committee and Judiciary regularly comes under fire for its decisions with consistency and penalties often dividing NRL fans, players, coaches and commentators. There are a host of contentious issues last year, including Penrith star halfback Nathan Cleary, remember that, escaping suspension for a shoulder charge. It was clearly a shoulder charge, right? Uh, Roosters uh, lock Victor Radley, regularly falling foul for debatable offences. Well, I think a lot of those weren't debatable with Victor. He just needs to maybe change his tackling technique, but I love his aggression. And Phil Gould labelling the system ridiculous after Roosters hooker Sam Verrills was suspended during the finals. All right, so just keep a watch out on that. Um, It looks like there might be a few changes uh, in store before the start of the new season. Uh... Chris, I read you will have greater involvement with SEN during the upcoming rugby league season. Hope you'll do some commentary with SEN. Uh, Jason um, from Marula Bark, is it, in yep. Victoria? Congratulations. Did I, did I nail that? Yeah, you did. Uh, thanks, Jason. Uh, no, well I, I, well, no, I don't oh. know about any greater involvement um, this year with SEN. I don't know. Get your people to call my people, Jace. But thanks for pointing that out. I haven't been told. Um, well, and talking about... Um, commentators having more involvement, etc. The great Ray Rabs Warren, I'm reading here in Buzz Rothfield's um, mm. column. Mm. It goes on. It's under the shush, so it's a shush mm. rumours. Yeah. yeah, quite. Just don't tell anyone. Nine Entertainment is working on a new podcast featuring the two Rays, Warren and Hadley, who have been calling the footy for a squillion years. Rabs will call his 100th state of origin in the opening game of the series this year. Hadley has called 96 origins on 2GB radio. Is that right? Is that right, Buzz? Okay, so Rabs is going to call his 100th state of origin. That's news to me. And he's going to have a podcast with Hadley. That's news to me as well. See what happens on this great show of ours, Cowboy Dan. Mm, Learn things as we go. Learn things on the run. Learn things on the run. Anyway, um, keep those text messages coming through, 0457 736 736. I'm keen to add to the list of things Dan ain't done, things Dan ain't done, and uh, methinks this is going to be a regular segment. If you and I are working together um, Mm. going forward throughout the year, uh, I think Dan ain't done might be a regular segment. We might build a bit of music around it, and it could get quite... Quite funny, but he, I'll just add the list now. We've got time. I'll go through the list of things that you haven't done in yes. your life, yeah. 31 years on yep. this, this great planet of ours. Yes, I um, think that's a great idea. Go through that. Okay, so here's a list, and I've got it at about seven okay. at the moment, okay? No, not for you. You know what you haven't done. It's for our listeners, Dan. Mm. This segment is called Dan Ain't Done. Okay, number one, mm. he has not driven a car. Correct. Number two... He has never surfed. Correct. Number three, he has never ridden a horse. Correct. Number four, he has never fished. Number five, he has never played chess. 
Number six and number seven. He has never skied on snow nor water. And did I say number eight, you've never played cards? You haven't said that yet, but that is. So we're up to eight. Mm. Never played cards. As I say, as I say, I mean, we're all very different and it would be a boring world if we were all the same. But you, my friend, are a very different individual altogether. Thank you very much. Central on SEN. Wonderful to have your company as well. Chris Warren with you for the next, uh, well, just under two hours. Cowboy Dan over there on panels pushing all sorts of buttons. Round the grounds we go. And uh, chasing 130 for victory, the Aussie women's cricket team. We're two for 35. Uh, two for 35. Elise Hilly still in there on 11 off 29 balls. And Elise Perry is now out there at the crease with her as well. So we only need 95 runs off uh, 233 balls. So as I said earlier, those, uh, I'm sure they can do that with uh, with their eyes closed. But you never, never know. Never we'll know. keep you uh, across that. And Tess Cody um, in the women's uh, snowboard slope style finals. Uh, Tess Cody has won our first medal for this Games, um, taking out the bronze. So well done to Tess Cody. Uh, a number of uh, medal chances as well tonight. Uh, Jakara Anthony, uh, Brittany Cox and Sophie Ash all through, I believe, yet yeah, to the women's um, Moguls final. So three Aussies in contention there tonight. So that all starts at about 10.30pm for those of you who will be up nice and late watching all of uh, that. Uh, rugby league-wise, I see um, the Parramatta um, Eels team, uh, their women's team, have uh, sold out of all their jerseys and also have a couple of uh, major sponsors locked in for the next two years. Well, I have to get on to my good mate Peter Wally Wynn at Peter Wynn's yeah. score if they've sold out all of all the jerseys. That can't be right. Wally must have got his stock-taking order stuffed up or something, and that's not like him. Uh, not like Wally Wynn at all. Uh, rugby League 2, uh, we'll stay with the Rugby League theme. As I said, uh, former Parramatta captain Timmy Mann is going to jump on the phone a little bit later on. Uh, during the week, there was a good interview and uh, the whole season, well, the All-Stars is next Saturday out there at Parramatta Stadium or Combank Stadium. I still have to get out of that habit. And then the season proper begins on the 10th of March. On the 11th of March... Uh, blockbuster game up there at Suncorp Stadium. Brisbane Broncos, led by Adam Reynolds, will take on Reynolds' former club, South Sydney. So that's on the 11th of March at Suncorp Stadium. I thought we might just replay uh, an interview during the week. And Adam Reynolds, he joined Jason Matthews and the boys on Sports Day, New South Wales. I had to incorporate the Brisbane Broncos and the Rabbitohs. His little legs were running very hard that night. (laughs) Weren't they? Yeah. I don't know if he scored too many intercept tries in his career. He did play over 230 games for the Bunnies. Their leading point scorer of all time was their inspirational skipper. But now he has a new role. The number seven for the Brisbane Broncos and deservedly boys, I would say. He's been uh, given the captaincy of the Brisbane Broncos. Adam Reynolds, welcome to Sports Day, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. A little intro there was pretty nice. <laughs> Obviously on the other side of things now, though. <laughs> now, so much experience, Adam, of course, uh, in your career. But is it still daunting knowing that you're going to lead a team, a very proud club as well, um, in your very first year? 
Oh, I don't think it's daunting. I think it's exciting more than anything. Um, it's, a, it's an honour and a privilege to be named the captain of the Broncos. Such a proud club with a lot of history there and a lot of great leaders before me. So, um, look, there's a lot of talent within the team and um, we just need to put in the hard work and um, the results will, will take care of themselves. Now, recent years, you've moved into more of a leadership role at the Bunnies. Uh, what is it about it that you like being part of that uh yeah, having that C next to your name. Yeah, I just like the challenge of, of bringing everyone together. Obviously, trying to um, you know work hard and, and strive for the results that we want on the field. And um, it's a role that I've sort of fallen onto into, and um, I've loved every minute of it. Um, obviously, there's the expectation, the pressures, and everything that comes with it. But I like to think I'm pretty cool, calm and collected kind of a person. And um, yeah, just I like the challenge of it all. Yeah. Hey, Adam, you, you, we all know that you'd never expected to leave Redfern and the Bunnies. How How is it? How are you settling into Brisbane? Are you, are you enjoying the change of scenery? Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, to be honest. Um, I, like you said, I never thought I'd, I'd be leaving Sydney, but um, I'm quite happy I am now. I'm enjoying the Brisbane lifestyle. It's pretty relaxed and casual up here. Was, um, the weather's always nice and um, the family's loving it. Obviously, we, we'll... It, pretty crammed in a small house in Sydney and you get up to Brisbane and um, get into a big house with a bit of land and um, kids are enjoying the, the move as well. Nice catfish in that river if you want to go fishing too. Party <laughs> full of them. Hey, um, now, I saw that, that list of Broncos captains starting with the King and Gene Miles and Alf and uh, Gordy Tallis and Co. It's a, it's a great list and your name is, um, deserves to be there. Um, very importantly, I need to know, is Alf still the shortest ever Broncos captain or have you, has he got you covered or what? <laughs> I think I've got him covered on. Um, I don't know if he's getting shorter, Alf, or he's, just, uh, he's always been that short. But he's Shorter um, and rounder. Yeah, he's, uh, no, he's, he's a very good fella. Always, always good to have around and um, yeah, got a lot of respect for Alf and what he's done in the game. Now, some very good young players. I think one of the most exciting uh, lists when it comes to youth coming through the um, the grades there at the Broncos, Adam. And we've got a, a, a text message here from one of our listeners, Grafton Bronco, who says, who's impressed you at training? But most importantly, what have you thought of the young half, Ezra Mam, who you'll have a fair bit to do with this year? Yeah, his name obviously springs to mind straight away. He's a, a exceptional young talent. He's, he's a footballer. He's a, he's a naturally gifted fella and um, he, he seems to be pretty good at whatever he does. So, um, yeah, he's, he's impressed me. Um, another fellow, Dean Mariner, he's a centre outside back and he's um, set the training field alight a couple of times. He's a um, pretty impressive young man and I've never really thought about the young, the young players coming through at the Broncos until you actually get up here and, and witness what they can do. And, um, yeah, I've been impressed with a lot of them. Now, most importantly, I know, great that you got the captaincy and, yeah, you've moved the family up to Brisbane in a, in a big mansion somewhere on three or four acres <laughs> just on the outskirts of Brisbane. But have you run into your old mate Wayne, who's now back in south-east Queensland? No, I haven't seen him. I haven't caught up with Wayne yet, obviously. I've got a great relationship with him as well. Um, I spoke to him on the phone a couple of times. But, Hello? Um, yeah, he's obviously pretty busy and trying to get his team together, but... Um, no, I've got a lot of respect for him and obviously can count on him as a as a mate outside of the game. Adam, this is a bit of a scoop. Do you know that uh, Wayne did a song with that international performing artist Adele? Have you heard it? 
No, I haven't. Yes. Here, here, have a listen to this. Thing, have a listen to this, mate. This is, <laughs> he's unbelievable. Have, have a listen. He's good. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's me. <laughs> there you go. It's rocketing up the charts. Exclusive. <laughs> uh, Exclusive. Now let's go to a, actually a bloke who is one of the funniest guys doing the rounds, but he's got a very serious job now. Kevy Walters, um, in, as a, I guess as specifically as a halves coach, is he, um, you know, helping you out in that area at all, or is he letting you just you know run your own race? No, he's been good. Uh, we've been bouncing ideas off each other and obviously trying to make the place better. And he's, look, he's, a, he's a very passionate person and uh, he's got a lot of love and respect for the club and he wants it on the up and um, I'm no different to him. So uh, it's good to bounce ideas off one another and, and, you know, challenge each other now and then and try and bring the best out in one another. And he's been superb for me. He's been um, pretty easy to get along with and uh, understanding of, of where I've come from and obviously my experiences and, he wanted me to incorporate most of that coming up here, and he's just let me be me, and um, yeah, got a great relationship with him already. Yeah, well, that's great to hear, mate. Trials coming up, and then I'm not sure if you've you've had a look at the first round. Big surprise to you, play. Big surprise that you're up against. Yeah, you've got no idea who we're playing there. The, <laughs> <laughs> the bunnies first up. That's uh, interesting how that one uh, came about. That's that's going to be a great great first up challenge for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm generally excited about the start of the season. I probably haven't been this excited for a, a long time for the start of the season. Not purely based on who we're playing, but um, just because of the excitement that's that's building around our club at the moment. Obviously, with the young players, um, you know, stepping up things at training, and obviously the new faces that the the club has brought along. And um, yeah, you can just feel the excitement um, around the town. Obviously, everyone get behind us and. The support's been amazing, so um, yeah, I'm generally excited for the start of the year, and I've uh, got a few trials to get through first, but no doubt we can um, find a, a youngster that's going to, you know, jump out of his skin and uh, put some pressure on us older blokes. Mm, now, I've watched you ever since oh, through your juniors, and I started calling with Fox Sports in the Holden Cup, and I've always been really intrigued and mesmerised by your body ink, Adam. What was your first tattoo? <laughs> Uh, I got my last name across my back. Uh, I was pretty young when I got it. I was I was a bit jealous of my brother, and he got a tattoo. He's a bit older than me, but as soon as he got one, I wanted one, and um, yeah, got into it pretty young. And pretty silly of me to get my whole body covered, but uh, it is what it is. I don't mind it. What's the strangest one on your body? What's it represent? Um, I've got a lot of them that don't represent much at all. <laughs> uh, I I tattooed myself in the under twenties along with a couple of other players. Uh, in the team, we had a, a WP on our on our hip, uh, standing for Wolfpack. That was a silly <laughs> idea, and <laughs> right. ended up um, ended up going over over that with a, a flower that wasn't done too well. It was an overseas job, and um, was a bit drunk at the time, and regretted that one. So I covered that up again with a a. Um, a Balinese mask, and yeah, not too happy with that one. As well, so. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to know you, obviously. It's outside be rugby league, when your kids come home. From school and dad, dad, I'm pretty keen to get a, a tap with my wolf pack. What's, how's that? Going? What's that? <laughs> one. Hey, uh, on your on your yeah, twi- I'll be, uh, I'll be your Twitter. Your Twitter handle is Rendiggity. What's the Rendiggity? Where's that come yep. from? Um, yeah, another 
silly story. There's nothing really to it. Um, there's a song called No Diggity. Yeah. Um, it was an R&B, R&B song from back in the day. And um, one of the boys used to always dream me up in high school and call me Ren Diggity. So <laughs> sort of stuck and, and just use that as the, uh, the, the tag, the handle, whatever it is. So oh. um, I've probably outgrown it now. I need to, to grow up a bit, but it's, it seems to be sticking around. Mate, love the honesty. You could have made up anything. Then we wouldn't know. We're not going to check your body or anything <laughs> like that. But, uh, hey, listen, that's why you don't go overseas, kids. Have a few beers and decide to get a tattoo. Is that right, Adam? <laughs> Is that your advice for the young kids? For yeah, the not very oh, geez, Mate, well, listen. You got yeah, a premiership tattoo, though. Yeah. yeah, you got the premiership tattoo? Yeah, yeah, I've got that, got that on the body. So <laughs> hopefully I can add another one in a couple of years. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, mate. Thanks for taking the time on, on what has been a wonderful day for you, being named the Brisbane Broncos skipper. I'm still missing you at the Rabbitohs, though. Uh, I hope you go okay in round one. <laughs> I reckon you should have a rest in round one, mate. Rest that body. It's a long season, Adam Reynolds. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm pretty keen to get back into the season. So, Hey, thanks for your time on Sports. Well, listen, thanks for your time on Sports Day and all the best with the Broncos. I couldn't think of a better person to be the skipper. Well done. Yeah, Adam Reynolds, you. thanks for joining us. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers fellas. Thanks for having me. Keep those text messages coming through 0457 736 736. Chris Warren in the chair. I'll be here until 4 o'clock on Sports Central. Welcome to our listeners on the Gold Coast through 1620 SEN uh, and here in the Harbour City, obviously, through SEN 1170. Um, We're going to talk some soccer in a moment, uh, some A-League and specifically around Sydney FC. Uh, before we uh, do that, just round the grounds with the cricket, uh, the ODI, the second ODI in the Women's Ashes series. And 129 was what England posted. And so the Aussie women, three for 55. Uh, a three for 65, in fact, is it? Is that 55 or 65? 65, I think it was. Anyway, um, so a few wickets down. But 55. We still should be able to get that, uh, that pretty uh, meagre total that uh, England posted there. Um, text messages, uh, keep them coming through as well. Uh, this is from the Big G. Uh, g'day, Chris. I said yesterday with Jimmy, I felt sorry for Justin Langer. The whole thing has been handled badly. I hate to see how it would have been handled if he was unsuccessful. Yeah, me too. It's a good point, Big G. Imagine if he performed like a busted. Well, then you'd sort of understand him being treated the way he has. Um, and he says, love hearing Harry's stories. Uh, that's Harry from Belmore who called in earlier on. He sounds like he's had a, a fascinating life. Well, I'm sure he has and uh, and still living it too. And, and, it, and we enjoy uh, listening to the stories uh, from uh, Harry. Um, Dan, you have to get out more, mate. Life's too short. Go skydiving or something. That's Steve from Padstow because there's a whole lot of things that Dan hasn't done. And uh, this one from Steve from Padstow as well. Uh, Chris, Cricket Australia, Nick Hockley. Who the hell's this guy? A pom sacking in Aussie. It's sabotage. He is from England. Well, that's just, that that can't be done. I know. Who is this guy? Anyway, he's under a whole lot of pressure. I would have thought um, the boss of Cricket Australia. Um, not for me to judge. All right, uh, let's talk a bit of uh, soccer now. And uh, Sydney FC, uh, well, uh, an amazing performance and best on ground performance. Man of the match performance by their goalkeeper on Friday night, Thomas Hewitt-Bell. That's a penalty. And it's a penalty. Well, you would not believe it. Sydney FC had a chance to make a three. Now Adelaide can equalise and they are the... <laughs> Late scoring expert side. It's Hiroshi Ibasuki to take the spot kick. 
He steps up to the ball, shoots, and it's saved! Well, terrific save by Thomas Hewitt-Bell. It was indeed, and I've just had a look at some of those highlights there, and uh, Thomas uh, Hewitt-Bell joins us on the line. Good afternoon, mate. How are you? Yeah, great, mate. Uh, yourself? Yeah, really good. Really good. Um, goalkeeper, uh, winning man of the match honours. I mean, uh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, to be honest, um, those games don't come often for a goalkeeper. So, yeah, as you said, it's something you dream about as a young kid. So, hopefully uh, more to come, but I'll, I'll take it. Absolutely. That's uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I was just, you know, Hiro Ibasuki, um, that spot kick there, and more often than not with, with penalty kicks, they, they find the net. Um it's a combination of two things. Oh, I guess the main thing is, uh, you tell me, do you have a tendency to sort of go left more than right or how you leave it as late as you can, I guess, before you make that decision? Yeah, um, you got to read the cues. Um, obviously, when he puts the ball down, what side he's looking, they try and throw you, maybe look the, the opposite way to where they're going to kick and yeah. how open their body is to the ball. But i got to uh, give my plaudits to the goalkeeper coach because he does um, quite a lot of research on these players and he he does a lot of the video and he, he sort of gave me a little bit of a sheet that told me where um, um, players tend to go, so that definitely helped. Who's the goalkeeping coach there now? Uh, Matthew Nash. Right, okay. Um, yeah. They had a couple there a few years ago. Just just Matthew has got the sole gig, has he, with the with the goalkeepers? Yeah, Sydney's had some great goalkeeper coaches over the year. I've worked under John Crawley, who's with the yeah. Socceroos um, now. And, yeah, I've, I've worked with Spider as well. He was yeah. at the club yeah. way before me. But, yeah. 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 And, and, and your background, Thomas, um, take us through the story. Um, for those that might not know a whole lot about you, um, your you junior football, where who did you play, play for? And, and at what stage did you sort of think, you know what? Um, I could I could play at the elite level in this sport. Um, well, I started playing at um, West Pimble. West Pimble is where I'm living now, and that, that's my local club. Um, I was always an uh, on-field player until I hit about 12, 13 is when mm. all the boys started uh, trying out for reps. Um, so, yeah, my first rep team was Manly and then uh, Parramatta, and then I played at Blacktown City, which was, you know, a, a great club, um, produced a lot of, top quality players so that's where I played most of my NPL um, years and then from Blacktown to Wanderers and then Central Coast and then and now Sydney. Wow you've been here there and everywhere um, all, all, all over the place so um, one of the one of the things I, I quite and this is this is totally off script as well mate one of the things I hear often these days um, uh, so some of the problems and I don't want to get into the politics of, of soccer in this country but um, it, it seems to be quite expensive uh, for four families to, to get their, their children involved with pretty hefty registrations would, would you agree with that? Yeah 100% it's mm. um, uh, it's tough it's tough because there's not a whole lot of um, opportunities and what I mean by that is you know there's not it's not like other leagues in the world where you've got a super amount of teams to pick from and you know it's we've got a lot of concentrated players in New South Wales uh, from what I can speak of and not a lot of teams so Mm. um, yeah NPL clubs do have quite high regos and and even just as we mentioned earlier just driving to and from training is (laughs) expense within itself driving all across Sydney, so, yeah, yeah, thank the parents for that. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's only now, you know, I'm a parent and doing the same thing that I think, God, 
mum and dad that used to do the same thing for me when I was I, I was a kid. But it just goes to show, and you're again living proof of it. You know, a, a young fella from Sydney. Um, and sort of at what stage did you think, you know what, I'd love to wear the sky blue? Um, yeah, well, Sydney FC is my boyhood club. I remember as young as, you know, nine, ten years old going and watching them play um, at SFS, which is the old stadium mm-hmm. back then. And I always, I didn't I didn't think at that stage I wanted to be a goalkeeper, but I definitely wanted to play for Sydney because, yeah. you know, watching players like Stevie Corica, Dwight York, um, yeah. You know, Sasha Petrovsky, those players, they, uh, you know, they were standouts back then. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you have fond memories of, of, of how sort of young were you when you were going along to the Sydney Football Stadium and, and watching Sydney FC, unbeknownst to you that one day you'd be pulling on the sky blue yourself? <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's, it was a weird feeling. When I first came to Sydney, I was just on a, a youth team contract and I've sort of worked uh, my way up mm. to a to a full-time position and just having that relationship with uh, Steve Corker as coach has been you know really interesting because obviously as I said I, I looked up to him as a kid watching him play and whatnot and now he's he's yeah. coaching me and other boys so absolutely yeah. have you told him that say so, hey I used uh, to... we haven't <laughs> you haven't had that conversation we haven't, yet? I, we, and, <laughs> no we, we, we had um <laughs> I don't know if you know Ufuk Tale. He's yes. a assistant. He was the assistant coach a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. And uh, one of my fondest memories as a kid was I went and watched them one game and um, mm. the whole West Pimble team, we got to go on the field after the game and he chucked his water bottle at me and I took it home <laughs> thinking it was my most prized possession. <laughs> oh, there you go. But... And, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice story. That, that, that That's the things that happened as a kid. I mean, I, I, I yeah, brilliant stuff. You should You should tell Steve about all that. How you, uh, you, yeah. see, you looked up to him. Well, so uh, Sydney FC, so it's a bit difficult to gauge it all, isn't it? Because you guys have played 10 or 11 games. Um, some of the other clubs below you have played sort of seven or six or eight games. It's hard to get a gauge, but we know that you're sitting second on the ladder. Um, so you've had that 2-1 win away against Adelaide. And next weekend, what a clash, hey? Top of the table clash uh, with yourselves and, and Western United, who are currently three points above you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a it was definitely a slow start um, for us, but I think in the last three games we've really hit our straps and everyone's um, you know sort of switched their mentalities a little bit. We're fighting a lot more, and I think it'll be a really good spectacle next week. Mm. And preparation wise, uh, have, you, have you trained today? What's what's ahead for the next few days? Uh, we had a travel day yesterday, so we're a bit fortunate today. We've got off. Um, we're, we're back in tomorrow, and we'll have a another day off on Tuesday, and then a three-day lead-in. So train Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then play on Saturday. So that's our week. Tell us more about uh, Thomas Hewitt Bell away from soccer. What What are your some of your other interests? <laughs> um, I love to have a hit of golf. Um, actually, with my girlfriend right now, we're going to go up the coast to Avoca, which would be really nice. Like I love to get that. out of the house, but um, I'm just doing a bachelor of media at uh, Macquarie University, oh, very wow. slowly. Yeah, I started there, Sorry. Macquarie Uni. I started there myself, actually. Um, did one year there. Avoca, huh? does your girlfriend play golf as well? Uh, she doesn't, but it doesn't stop me from trying to help her. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a good time. Beautiful beach up there too uh, at Avoca, mate. Thanks for joining us. Good luck next weekend um, against uh, Western United and all the best for the rest of the season in the A-League.
Cheers, really appreciate it. No, thank, thank you, mate. Thank you. Thomas Hewitt-Bell, goalkeeper at Sydney FC. If you didn't see the match, when was it? Friday night, wasn't it? It was an absolute belter of a save. Mm. Uh, really good. So uh, Google that if you haven't seen the highlights of that. Uh, you won't see much uh, many better saves than that. Righto, uh, where we headed now? We'll take a quick break. We're going to talk some boxing, I hope. Uh, I hope that Billy Dibb can join yeah. us. Uh, plenty happening in the world of boxing from an Australian perspective. Keep those text messages coming through. Uh, this one here, um, uh, Chris Wiley, old dog here. We need to look no further than the New South Wales cartel pushing for their man, Trevor Bayless. It was started once Bayless left the Pommy job. Smith, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, all ably led in the print media by Jeff Lawson, who uh, may walk into an assistance job with Bayless in control. All right, wily old dog. Well, you have your thoughts, and uh, we shall see what will transpire. We'll take a break. When we return, we'll talk some boxing. 11 to 3 in Sydney, uh, 11 to 2 up there in Brisbane. Um, so we've had success at the Winter Olympics. We've got our first medal. Uh, Tess Cody has done really, really well. She's taken out the bronze medal. So that's our first medal at these games. The bronze in the women's snowboard slope style finals. And uh, she spoke to Channel 7's Mel McLaughlin. As far as fairy tales go, they don't get much better than this. It was absolute heartbreak for Tess Cody four years ago, but now officially an Olympian yesterday, and today you are on the podium. Congratulations. You've got a word for absolutely everything. How do you describe this? That was wild and that was so insane. I'm dying. That was... I have so many words. <laughs> well, it's elite company, an Australian on the podium at the Winter Olympics. We know what happened four years ago, but firstly, just tell us about this approach. Was your mindset just to go for it from that first run today? Yeah, totally. Like, you know, I was making it to a finals is always a win in my books. Like, and last night, you know, I was chatting to a friend and he said to me that, like, I finally earned my ticket to freedom with the last four years. And... Yeah, and I really just took that mentality today. Like, I'm just going to send it, nothing to lose. Like, I came back, I got my redemption yesterday, and today I just wanted to, ha like, have the best time, enjoy it the most, and just send it. That, that's all I wanted to <laughs> you do. You certainly did. Well, you were in that bronze medal position for, for so long. I know how tense it was for all of us. We have the Kiwis next to us as well. How hard is that wait for you just when, you, when you're in the top three, just waiting for the others to come down? Yeah, that was cruel. That was so mean. Honestly, like, <laughs> and they get you stand in front of the camera and stuff. And, um, yeah, like, I was hoping it would bump me a couple more points and I would have been feeling a little bit safer. But watching Anna come down, watching Kokomo come down, I was like, oh, well, like, I'm proud of my run. I'm probably going to get the chocolate medal, but it's all good. And, yeah, I can't believe it held. I'm so hard. <laughs> well, let's go back to that, that journey that you've had. We know what happened four years ago. You said that, if anything, that helped you get to where you are today. Yeah, more than anything. Like, I don't know, it's crazy doing this kind of tour when you're a teenager and it's pretty easy to get you know, to this big stage and think you're a rock star and just like, <laughs> and I, that kind of happened. I just became complacent and sort of stopped working hard. And yeah, that was totally like the kick up the arse that I needed to just like get to work. And I, in that whole year, I saw everyone getting so much better than me. And when I got back on snow, like that was the only, there was no excuses from there. It was like, I just have to work my like arse off and just 
much, you know, <laughs> send it. What about the camaraderie? You guys make everyone, you've made everyone cry with just how much you clearly <laughs> genuinely love each other and you know, one of your best mates, Zoe, has done what she's done as well. Yeah, I love those girls so much. Like, we're all so tight. It's pretty crazy in this sport. It's not like a lot of other sports where there's a lot of crazy rivalry. Like, yeah, everyone's competitive. That's just the nature. But, you know, there's nothing better than seeing someone land a good run. Like, Julia, she's been struggling with slope events for the last like year maybe two not landing anything and she was riding so good in the practice and it was so good to see her land something good because she deserved to be on that podium and yeah Zoe she's one of my best mates like I'm just so so incredibly hyped for her she deserved that win so much. Does it feel like the changing of the guard the, uh, the young kids have come up and taken over the podium? Yeah totally oh yeah passing on um, the torch or whatever they say but nah it's so sick like seriously couldn't have asked for better people to stand up there with that was insane. Okay now here's the big one I know it means everything to you a message to your friends and family back home I think you mentioned the cats as well. <laughs> yeah totally yeah just thank you so much for ev to everyone who's watched this mum, Lily, Charlie, Lulu, Gramps, Dad, Tegan and Lucas, all the homies I'm so hyped like this one's for you guys I gotta give the biggest shout out to the Australian team for helping me these last two days have been crazy like the medical team helped me so much last night get my foot all good for today and I'm just so blessed to be like standing here you know it would have been a dream even if I didn't stand on the podium but just to land a run and just have the support of all my friends and everything at home it's seriously it means so much to me so yeah this is for you guys love you guys so much Tess, everyone in St Kilda and all of Australia was on the edge of their seat and they are all celebrating so much. Huge congratulations. Enjoy when you get that medal. Yeah, I will do. And also shout out to Jordan. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there she is. Um, Tess Cody. She's a character and a fine young athlete as well. So that's our first medal at the Winter Olympics. Tess Cody um, winning bronze in the women's snowboard slope style final. She sounds like quite a character. She sounds, you know who she sounded like? Who? She sounded like Sally Fitzgibbons. She did a bit. Surfer, she, yeah. same sort of sport in a way, you know. You know, there's just Very aerial dynamics yeah. and talented and uh, refreshing. Lovely. Well done to Tess. Um, Mel McLaughlin there from Channel 7 doing the interviewing. We've got loads to come. We're still on air for an hour. Keep those text messages coming through. Um, I will get to you, Jaws. It's a good email or text you've sent through to supporting the decision to dismiss Justin Langer. You might have your thoughts on it. I totally think they've stuffed up big time, but uh, who am I to um, to judge? Um, we'll keep those text messages coming through. 0457 736 736. We're going to talk some boxing next too. Billy Dibb, two-time Aussie world champion, will join us. Yes, you are. Welcome back. It's exactly three o'clock here in New South Wales, two o'clock up there in uh, Queensland. Welcome to all of our listeners, wherever you might be tuning in. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday afternoon. Weather's a bit rubbish, but I can't really help you uh, with that. Um, but tune in to us. As I said earlier, it might be uh, a time or a day to uh, do the indoors, enjoy the indoors, like board games or or cards or anything. Um, my executive producer here, Cowboy Dan, we've got a list and we've got a new segment. It's the, it's called um, Things That Dan Ain't Done. Yes. I know that's not the correct Queen's English, Dan Ain't Done, um, but it's a growing list. You've never driven a car, you've never ridden a horse, you've never fished, you've never surfed, you've never... Um, played cards, talking about indoor sports. You've never, you've never, um, never skied, talking nope. about Winter Olympics. You've never hopped into a canoe or a kayak. No. Nope. 
and you've never grown a beard. Correct. So we're up to about nine or ten on the list yeah. of things that Dan ain't we're done. There. This man on the line has done plenty, including winning two world championships. His name is Billy Dib. Good afternoon, brother. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chris. How you doing? Mate, I'm doing really well. Um, can you believe this fellow with me, Billy, hasn't done so much in life? Who's with you, mate? Tell oh, me. Cowboy Dan. He's my producer over Cowboy. there. He's never even Cowboy driven. Dan, how you doing, mate? He's mate. never even driven a car. Really? Nah. Never driven a car. No. Nah. Never fished. Never surfed. Wow. Wow, well, mate. You need to live a little. You need to live a little, mate. Absolutely. That, that's what I keep telling him, Billy. Where are you at the moment? Are you in a restaurant? I am. I'm out with some family, just enjoying a nice day out. It sounds nice, whatever you're dining into there. Where, where are you? Give the restaurant a plug if you want. You might get something off the bill. Nah, we're just in Darling Harbour, mate. Darling Harbour having a nice one. All right. Let's talk some uh, boxing, Billy. Um, and I know there's some exciting plans ahead for yourself, so we might just save that for um, the end of, of, of our little chat. Um, we've all been hearing over you know, the past year or two, it's all been about Tim Zoo, And now we know that younger bro Nikita is going to make uh, his... Uh, professional debut. Uh, you know Nikita pretty well. You've been, I guess, watching his de- development over over the years. He's taken some time out of the sport, um, studying architecture, I think, is what he's been doing. Tell us more about Nikita Zoo. Oh, well, Nikita was an outstanding amateur who, I mean, boxed internationally. He represented Australia. He uh, was national champion on a, on a few occasions. He was definitely a standout um, during his time. Unfortunately, he never fought as a senior. He was just a junior. And then mm. he decided to take a little bit of a uh, brief step away from boxing and just concentrate on his studies. And, you know, now, now that he's seen Tim having some great success, I think he just felt like maybe it was time for him to join the uh, bandwagon and, uh, mm. and get out there and uh, showcase his abilities. And obviously, you know, he's got a great promotional company in No Limit behind him and, and an awesome manager, uh, Glenn Jennings. So I think... Yeah. The sky's the limit for the kid. You really need it, don't you? You need the promoters behind you. You need the right team behind you. You can have all the ability in the world. But look what's happened with Tim. He's unbeaten. Yeah. Um, he's making plenty of dough. But and, and the big ticket, the big ticket's still to come for Tim if he can get that world title down the track. Nikita, um, he's softly spoken, but my goodness, he looks like his old man, doesn't he? Mate, he's a... Uh... He doesn't look like his old man as much as Tim does, but yeah. he, I mean, he's, he, he can fight like his old man, that's for sure. I mean, both the kids can actually fight. Tim and Nikita are both great talents. And I believe, um, you know, Boxing Australia is in some uh, good hands. So, mm. you know, they, they're very proud Australians. Um, although they come from a um, Russian heritage, they're very, very proud to be Australian. And I, I know that, um, uh, you know, both of them are going to do Australia very, very proud when their time comes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I watched the press conference, oh, I don't know when it was, or maybe a week ago, was it? And um, he described himself, this is Nikita, he sort of described Tim as the surgeon and he's more the butcher. Uh, sort of same outcome, but he's a bit messier. Yeah, he is. Look, he is, he's, a, he's a bit of a scrapper. He likes to get involved in a bit of a fight. So, you know, he's not as tactical as Tim is, but let me tell you something, the kid packs a punch, he can wallop, that's what he can do for sure. So, Tim, then, um, take us through that, um, where we're up to with Tim Zhu. Uh, he's going to make his first appearance overseas in the United States. Um, so he's inching closer to, a, to a, a world title shot. Yeah, obviously, look, he's sitting right there at number one in the world. And um, basically all he has to do is just uh, 
you know, keep winning. He's, he's got to win his next fight. And uh, he's doing it on the undercard of Charlo versus Castano mm. to, set up the, uh, to set up the big fight. So, obviously, the winner of Castano and Charlo will have to face Tim next. And although it won't be an easy fight, I definitely give Tim a chance. He's in there and the uh, kid's got two fists in the heartbeat. So, he's, he's definitely in there with a chance to do it. Mm, absolutely. Um, I want to talk um, about more Aussie boxers in a moment, but the one big one, and, and uh, this is um, George Cambosis Jr. I'm talking about here. Um, so it was a Brocky Jarvis. We'll chat about him in a moment. Uh, like George Cambosis Jr., um, well, unlike him, he's not a world title holder yet, Brock Jarvis. But with George Cambosis Jr., um, 20 and 0, where, where are we up to there? Is he about to make an announcement about his next fight? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's looking to fight either Devin Haney or uh, Vasily Lemachenko. Whether he does that or, or does that or not, I don't know. Mm. But, um, uh, you know, he's had a few offers to fight a couple of Australian fighters and he's turned it down. Um, so he definitely wants the big names. And obviously, you know, they're not easy fights. And whether he, whether he wins or loses, I don't know. But I know that he's in there with the chance. You know, the kid's got a lot of heart and a lot of ability. And um, he could definitely mix it with the best of them. But... Mm. At this current moment right now, it's a toss-up between Devin Haney and Vasily Lemachenko. But if you're asking me, I think he's more leaning towards Vasily Lemachenko. And would that be that would be in Oz, would it, Billy, or, or what? Well, 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 I mean, well, look, he's saying that, you know, he's trying to tell the promoters overseas that he can get eighty thousand fans in, in, the, in the stadium, and you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that's going to be a shutout and no hitter. That's, that's not going to happen. You know, what I mean, it's never going to happen. He'll be lucky to get. 10, 15,000, if that, you know what I mean? So it's just, you know, but, but mm. you know, I mean, the kid's got aspirations and, you know, ambitions, but 80,000 people, you're, you're a long way away from that, you know what I mean? You know, the greatest crowd that we've ever had in Australian boxing was Anthony Mundine versus Danny Green. It was nowhere even near 80,000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a so, tricky you know, one, but, isn't it? And but, uh, it's a show. The, sh- the fight, the thing is, it, it, it all comes down to money, you know. At the end of the day, if they're going to offer George three or $4 million to go fight overseas, He's not going to fight here, you know, no. because really he'll be lucky to make $1.5 million if he fights over here. Mm. It's going to be a very, very hard ask. You know, you, you got to remember he's going to have to pay for Sidney Lemchenko or Devin Haney some great money. Mm. It's, it's, it's a numbers thing, you know. It's all going to come down to the numbers and the money. And at the end of the day, if, if I'm George, you know what I mean, I just, yeah. you know, if I was George, I'd be taking like, a, you know, because he's coming off a really hard fight. I'd just be taking an easy defense, mm. you know, defend the titles once earn some money, and then go over there and have another crack at the hard fight. You know what I mean? But, mm. you know, the kid's got ambitions, and you just got to give him, you got to applaud him for that. Good on him. Let him chase what he wants to chase. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, isn't it, behind the scenes. And, and lot, you're right, oftentimes, lot, oftentimes um, the fight that they're taking is maybe not the right fight, but uh, money nah. talks, money talks. And, yeah, money you know, talks. Mate, it's all based on money. It's money, it's money mm. is the thing. And, and look, if he does fight for Sidney Lemchenko, mate, it's going to be a really, really difficult fight. You know what I mean? But, you got to, you know, you got to give the kid credit. He wants to test himself against the best, and that's mm. what he's going to do. Love to do it in in his own backyard. It would would be great. But you're right. He, he's going to get more money over there, and that's probably how things will go. Um, another Aussie uh, with a twenty and zero unbeaten record is Brock Jarvis. Um, tell us more about Brock and, and his path. Where are we up to? Well, I mean, you saw Brock's last fight was a, yep. uh, you know, it was he had a little bit of a scare um, overseas in the US on the um, on Nettie Hearn the uh, zone card. And um, you know, I think I think that um, uh, he copped a lot of flack on, you know, a lot of slack from a lot of people. You know, they didn't, they didn't give him credit for for the comeback that he that he showed. He showed a lot of grit and heart to um, survive that. 
getting hurt and, and come back and eventually stop the kid, you know. People were saying, oh, it's a, it was a bit of a shy stoppage and the referee did him a favour. And, mm. you know, so they've decided to take a rematch against this kid. I, to be honest with you, I don't know why. Mm. It's, uh, you know, like you're 20 and 0, you move on, you know, you put that one behind you and you move on and you get go on to bigger and better things. But I don't know what it is. I think, I think um, you know, he's sort of been forced into it, you know, by the bullies out there, you know, saying that, oh, you know, he should have lost or, you mm. know, Jeff should have stopped the fight or whatever. You know, there's so many things going around. But look, at the end of the day, Jeff Fennick knows what he's doing. Jeff's yep. a smart guy. He's been in a boxing game for a very, very long time. Brock Jarvis is a good talent. Um, and, you know, as I said, he's just going to face this guy in a rematch. He's probably going to do a job on him. I hope they do the job, you know what I mean, mm. and get him out of there early. And then Brock can go on to move on to bigger and better things. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I'd be doing if I was him. Mm. Alejandro Frias, yeah, I remember after that fight, uh, people were saying, well, he, he took a few punches, Brock, didn't he? Um, he did. He took he took a few. He took more than a few, but mm. he survived. You know, he survived. Yeah, but, the, but the thing is, you see, um, a lot of people, they get upset with Jeff because Jeff's always on TV saying, oh, this corner should stop the fight and all this sort of stuff. But mm. Jeff knows his athlete. Mm. Jeff knows that Brock was okay, you know what I mean? From the outside, people looking in and saying, Brock's finished, you know what I mean? He, he was done. But Jeff didn't stop the fight to save me. And Jeff gets on TV saying, mate, he should have saved the fight. He should have saved him. He should have did this. Throw the towel in. And that's people yeah. having to go Jeff for that. But, but Jeff knows Brock. Jeff knows, knows Brock. That's the thing. That's he the... knows, mate. He knows he's been there when the sparring sessions. He knows yeah. that Brock's hurt. And, yeah. you know, he knows that, you know, all he had to do, as he said, is just get Brock back to the corner, get him to relax, recoup, and come back. That's it. Yeah, I think in a nutshell, Jeff knows Brock yeah, inside out and knows how much uh, his chin can take, etc. So, well, just on Brock, exactly. and, and he's probably he's flying under the radar somewhat when you consider he's twenty and zero, right? Twenty and zero, um, and we're all talking about Tim Zoo, etc. And there, there's you know being others, but how far do you think Brock Jarvis can go? Mate, I don't know. Mm. I really don't know. You know, I mean, I just feel like Brock's got such great attributes that he doesn't use. Mm. But, um, you know, he's got the range and the height. And, um, you know, I don't know what's happening with, with the weight with him. And, you know, he's, he's getting bigger and bigger. You know, he's fluctuating weight. And, you know, he's push, pushing himself to make weight. Well, I, don't, I don't really know what's going on with Brock, you know. But, but does the kid have talent? Yes. Mm. You know, does he use his attributes? Well, probably not. You know, he's... He's a, he's a tall fighter. He's a rangy fighter. He's got long reach. You know, he reminds me of a Diego Corrales from back in the days, but he just doesn't use his attributes. So, mm. you know, we'll, we'll just see how far he goes. But, look, I wish Brock all the best. He's got a beautiful family. You know, him and Jeff have done a great job to get to this point. You could just applaud the kid. Good on him, mate. It's not an easy sport, and he's doing his best. Yeah, and he's, he's got uh, Jeff Fennick's arm around his shoulders too, so he is in good hands. Exactly. Righto. Billy exactly. Dibb, my friend, Billy Dibb. Um <laughs> What's in store for you? Uh, do I hear there's a, a big fight coming up? Mate, yeah, man. It's been on the horizon for some time now, but we've finally got a date. We've been in camp working extremely hard. March 19th is the date that's been set. Promoted by Ace Boxing um, Promotions is at the Star Casino in, um, in the Gold Coast, and I'm facing Jacob NG for the IBF International title and the WBA Continental Lightweight title. So a uh-huh. great win there. will place me right in the mix of the lightweight division and... Um, coming after them straps. Wow. 19th of March, circle that in the diaries. Uh, where did you say it was, the Star? The Star Casino at, um, uh, at, uh, in the Gold Coast. Gold Star Coast, Broadbeach, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What it used to be called, Jupiter's, didn't it? I remember playing... Yeah, it used to be called Jupiter's Casino, that's right. It used to I remember playing Jupiter. blackjack up there as a with my dad when I was only a teenager. Is that illegal? Yeah. 
I think it is. Oh, oh, no, it wasn't. I must have been over. I must have been over the age of, of 18. Well, mate, hey, all the best with that. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking to you, obviously, a lot more before then, mate. But great. That's all locked sure. in stone. So Billy sure. Dibby, Jacob NG. Um, and that's, I guess, for a solid ranking in the, in the lightweight division, mate. So uh, anyone that thought Billy Dibb was uh, done and dusted, they can think again, huh? No, mate. Listen, 36 years of age, but live like... Uh, Just mate, a pup. The way I live my life, the way I live my life, as a clean Muslim, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble, I don't do any of that stuff, I don't take drugs. You know, just living real clean. So, mate, my body is my temple and I've, mm-hmm. I've really looked after myself. And believe me, um, you know, I'm putting them all on notice. Come come March 19th, they're going to come out to see me. Boom. Love it. Billy Dib, thanks for joining us on SEN. Thanks, mate. God bless you guys. Take you, care. You too. You too. Billy Dib. There he is. Uh, good man. Good man. And uh, certainly hasn't hung up the gloves. You heard it there for him. Uh, no way in this world, and even at the age of 36, given his lifestyle, and you know, take this on board, given his, his, his healthy, clean living lifestyle, um, he's probably a very, very young 36. Um, so in terms of age, so Kelly Slater, he's taking out the Pipeline Masters. Yes. So that's, he's 50 in either today or the next few days. Yep. Did you know that? I didn't, but you no. told me. And who so and John Aloisi was he turning forty six yesterday? Uh, he, he he could have been. Brad Fittler turned fifty yesterday. Did he? He did. Yes. And I see Brad's boy yes. uh, was playing yesterday for the Roosters. Fifteen years old he is. Uh, yeah. He marked for the back row. Yes. Yeah. So Came through my club. Mm. Bell Raiders. There's another one. They're now coming through. Oh mate, you should have seen him. He was, you know, under twelves. He was like, you know. Towering over his opponents, but you could just see the gift, mm. and you could just see, you know, it doesn't look like he's dead, but you can see in the body movements, yep. just yep. Uh, you know, um, it's quite uncanny. From so, all reports, had a very good game yesterday as well. You know, I watched some highlights yep. Yep. of that. Um, so well done, well done, him. Now, what do we got coming up? What do we got coming? Up? Timmy Manor, we're we going to talk to him some footy. Yep, uh, it's got to be in this hour because I'm leaving in yeah, 45 minutes. You know that. Right. Uh, Christy Doran as well, going to talk some rugby union in a minute as well after the next break. Oh, okay, cool. Mm. Now, um, this text here uh, from, who we got here? Holky from Oberon. Um, good afternoon, Chris, still blowing a gale outdoors. Thanks, mate, for giving me that update because I'm in here and I can see the, the trees sort of moving out there through the, through the windows, but it's a, not a great day. You say, Holky, do you think there's any truth in the rumour that Brad Arthur is under huge pressure this year? Um, I'm hearing his first six rounds this year are vital. Well, Hulky, uh, well, yeah, we hear this every year with Brad, don't we? So, um, but he signed a contract extension at the end of last season. Um, so, what needs uh, Parramatta are different to other clubs in that they need to go beyond week one or even week two in the finals for the year to almost be deemed a successful. This, given their roster is going to be changing in twenty twenty three, it's a good opportunity for the Eels to make a real statement this year. Um, let's have this conversation at the end of next uh, coming season, I think, Holky, uh, and see how they go. But uh, if they don't perform well, and well by Parramatta standards is different to other clubs. If they don't perform well, and I mean go deep into the finals, well, you never, never know. And what is a contract worth anyway? Um, Re Cricket and Contracts and Justin Langer. Uh, this one here from Jaws. And he says, I'll be in the minority, but the Langer outcome is the right one. Not well handled by Cricket Australia, but overall, the Langer defence is superficial. Um, he listened to the feedback and changed his way, so a big tick there. A surprise T20 World Cup. 
but assistant coach Andrew McDonald was more influential. Too much is being made of the Ashes win, given the appalling performances of the Poms. And finally, the role of Australian cricket coach is different to any other sport as the captain sits above the coach in the hierarchy. Thank you, Jaws, for your input there. So a different spin on things. This is Sports Central with me, Chris Warren. We'll take a break and back with more. You're listening to Sports Central on SEN. Yes, indeed you are. 20 past three in New South Wales, 20 past two in Queensland. Chris Warren with you for the next 40 minutes or so. I hope you're enjoying your um, windy afternoon in the Harbour City. Um, Average conditions out there. We're going to talk some uh, rugby in a moment. And, uh, well, let's do it right now, shall we? Christy Doran uh, joins us on the line. Christy, thanks for joining us, mate. How are you doing? Pleasure. Great to join you. Hey, now, uh, big news, and, and Michael Hooper, um, he's made a bit of history uh, going in the, in the record books. He, he's claimed uh, the John Eels medal for... Uh, he's the first to do it four times, am I right? First to do it four times. Surpasses just a, you know, a, a, a quietly well-known player in Israel for Lau. But, yeah. yeah, Michael Hooper, fourth time, Wallabies captain. Um, the, the bloke has played 117 tests. Captain the Wallabies 64 occasions. Uh, the guy's going to go down statistically as one of the Wallabies' greatest, um, mm. whether or not he is indeed. But regardless, the, the bloke is a, a model of consistency, and that's what he's built his game about. Um, if there were more Michael Hoopers out in the field for the Wallabies, they'd generally be going better. But he spoke today to the media, and he's going to be out for a few weeks as he comes back from his Liz Frank injury. But he's yeah. a, a class player. He's a really good role model, and... Um, a big 18 months ahead of him as he leads the Wallabies into the 2023 World Cup in France. I hope so, Christy. Of that Liz Frank, it's a bloody, it's a bludger of an injury. I've had it myself, and 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 oftentimes athletes struggle to get back to how they were. I mean, a lot's changed in the last few years, sort of medical um, technology and all that sort of stuff. But with the other thing about Michael Hooper um, and that, that award. And, and let's be honest too. Um, I get you'll be first to say it. Rugby in this country has, has struggled, hasn't it? Over the past couple of years, it hasn't been um, reaching the highs that we, we'd like. But but through that one consistent, through that turbulent period, the, the one consistent factor has been Michael Hooper. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you think about where the Wallabies have been, where Australia rugby has been. Uh, it's only twenty years ago that the code was really, really thriving. Uh, and mm. since then, there's only been probably one period in time where you went, okay, perhaps rugby's back, and that was the 2015 World Cup. And off the back of that, they lose the final to New Zealand. And then the next five tests, three to England, a couple to New Zealand. Uh, but but Michael Hooper, there's been always questions about how good is this guy? And lots of people have questioned him. The person I respect most in the game, Rod Kafer, mm. questioned where does he rank? But... You think about it, he's, he's been the captain underneath Dave Rennie, the captain underneath Michael Checker. Ewan McKenzie, in fact, made him the captain. Yeah. And he was picked uh, in his first season underneath Robbie Deans in, in you know 2012. Uh, and he plays in 2013, the British and Irish Lions series. Um, so, so I think that tells you enough about the guy. I think Australian rugby is actually on the up curve. Mm. Um, the results have been about 50-50 for last, or oh, in 2021 it was. But there's, a, there's a, obviously a World Cup next year. There's a British and Irish Lions series in 2025 and a home World Cup in 2027. So if the Wallabies can get their ducks in an order, a new administration, which is starting to, to make a bit of impact, um, 
there, there are you know, green shoots in the game, which is a very positive thing. For a lot of people that can get behind a national national team like the Wallabies, it's mm. up there with the Socceroos and the Australian cricket team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely up there and, and how things have changed. But let, let's hope we can, you know, uh, get back to how things once were. And, and the same, I'm talking to Christy Doran um, from Fox Sports, by the way. That's still right, Christy, isn't it? Still with Fox Sports? Yeah, yeah. Fox Sports, the Australian code. The whole lot. It's all happening. <laughs> the whole the lot. The whole kit and caboodle, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was saying, you know, the Wallabies have struggled a bit um, and you know, the, the brand of Australian rugby has struggled a bit in, in not, not just a bit, quite a bit in recent years. So too can be said for the New South Wales Waratahs. You rewind, you know, half a dozen years and you know, they were a real powerhouse. Um, things haven't quite gone their way. Now, they've got a new coach in charge, um, Darren Coleman, who I shared a couple of cold ones with actually on Australia Day. He's enjoying his role no end. Um how do you think he'll go? How do you think the team will go? It's it's really interesting because Darren Coleman is a bloke that's been around Australian rugby for 20 years now. He started out as a... He, he finished up his own professional career in, uh, in his mid, mid-20s or so. Wanted to be a coach. And, and he's done it the real hard way, long way. You know, some people make it and they, they're former players and they get parachuted into roles as a, assistant coaches. Darren didn't quite make it um, where he perhaps wanted to, but really, you know, one of those guys is drawn to coaching. And he's coached just about every shoot shield club across New South Wales. He's coached in Japan. He's coached the LA Gelatines, which is a new club in the Major League Rugby competition in America. Mm-hmm. So everywhere he's gone, he's pretty much had success, and particularly the shoot shield competition. The guy has grassroots rugby to his bone, to his core, and he's really well respected. And one of the things that he did when he, he missed out a couple of years ago to Rob Penny, who of course got sacked midway through last season, he gets given the, or awarded the role, wins the role. He comes in from the LA Gillatinis where he won his first first in his first year of the competition there with the likes of Matt Guido, Adam Ashley Cooper, Dave Dennis. And he comes in and, and they go on a, a really big hike through Kangaroo Valley from starting at 6 o'clock, finishing at 9 a.m. in the morning. Then they go you know, down the Kangaroo Valley where they're paddling for seven, eight hours. He's invited nine of the greats of the Waratahs, the likes of Phil Ward, Matt Burke. Mm. And he's got a great ability to bring old school players, guys like Rob Horn, into the mix. And they're stopping every hour and talking about what does it actually mean to be you know, a professional rugby player, et cetera, et cetera, for someone like Rob Horn, who was paralysed in his arm mm. after a collision gone wrong in the English Premiership. Um, they're stopping every hour and talking about it because Darren's from a, an ilk of time where the pubs around Paddington were full. 30,000 were coming to the SFS every afternoon yep. to watch the task. He's, oh, I think, going to be able to, to do wonders, not necessarily this year, but I think in 2023, it's going to be a really, really successful time for the Waratahs. They've, they've started to really bring through their 20-year-olds. So there's, there's a group of 21, 22 that have all been there. And the one thing that he said that he was surprised at, the Waratahs, of course, winless last year. One of only three super rugby clubs not to have ever won a, a match mm. throughout a year. They went 13 and zip, or 0 and 13, I should yeah. say. And he expected to see some cancers in the side. And he used that word to me in a, in a long interview of half an hour a couple of weeks back. Mm. And they are very tight despite the fact that things haven't gone their way. Um, so it's a positive sign for them. 
it'll be interesting to see how they go. I, I can see them pushing to make the finals. Uh, the competition, of course, starts in a couple of weeks' time. It'll be it'll be fascinating to watch this, and and if it, and if it does come off, it's great for grassroots rugby. Absolutely, and not just grassroots rugby. I I think if the Waratahs are successful, there's a knock-on effect with the uh, the Wallabies as well. Um, you know, and, and I first met Darren actually when I was at the Rats. You know, um, but uh, I, I yeah, that sort of level of rugby is is really really strong, and I I think you know. Uh, you know, it probably was at risk of, of, of losing the Super Rugby. It's probably more popular, the Shoot Shield. At some grounds, you're you getting more people yeah. through the yeah. through the turnstiles. Uh, mate, Christy, I appreciate your time. Um, just on the Six Nations, so that all kicked off this morning. Um, Scotland, uh, late penalty try for them, and they beat England 20 points to uh, 17. And then High Island uh, hammered Wales 29 to 7. Yeah, yeah. The big one out of that, obviously England's coming down into Australia, three test matches to still coach Bloody Jones. Um, Scotland are a rising force, which is great to see. A great crowd up at Murrayfield. But secondly, in Ireland, Mac Hansen, a former Brumby player, yeah. he was let through pretty much. He was offered to most Super Rugby clubs, a former Australian under-20s player. He's only 22. Absolute gun, really silky ball skills. Guy that got snuck through the cracks, probably should have been playing more than he was. And he gets man of match in mm. his first game just five months after arriving in Galway where he's playing at Connacht under former Australian sevens coach Andy Friend. So great yeah. story for Mac Hanson, his family all living, I think, in Canberra. Um, great story. Good on him. But another just missed opportunity, I think, for Australian rugby. Absolutely. And Andy Friend, there's another link back to Darren Coleman because they worked together, didn't they, at, at the Brumbies, I'm sure. Um well, I know they did. Yeah, I know they did, actually. And, and For a short time, they did. He was an assistant coach, I believe, yeah. Yeah, and Tony Ray, uh, old North Sydney hooker mate of mine, he was he was there, I think, as oh, maybe interim coach at the time as well. Funny how it all overlaps. You're doing a great job of, of name-dropping there, Chris. You're doing well. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, Tony's a good <laughs> mate of mine. Tony's my daughter's godfather, actually. So he invited me along to um, Darren's place at a quiet beer on, on Australia Day. So there you go. Funny how it all uh, there you go. unfolds. Mate, uh, Christy, thanks for joining us, mate. Appreciate the chat. Take care. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thanks. Great stuff. There is Christy Doran uh, from Fox Sports uh, across all things rugby and a whole lot more. Uh, keep those text messages coming through. 0457 736 736. Uh, the boys are on fire. I'm not sure who uh, sent that one through or, or what that actually means. Is that about you? I don't know. Must be uh, talking about us. I don't know. Don't know. Uh, Chris, the biggest problem with Parramatta is their halves. Uh, can't put four good games together, which is needed to win a grand final. They also need to learn to win away from home consistently from uh, Drew. This one here, Daniel from Prairie Wood. I haven't uh, read through it in a uh, whole, but let's just go for it. I, I trust there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, g'day, Chris. The Sofa Solomona has obviously ticked all the boxes to be able to enter a stadium. Uh, with the current Victorian government's public health orders prohibiting unvaccinated people, be it administrators, athletes, or the general public, from entering uh, a premise. Uh, Storm Chairman Matt Tripp did talk um, to applying for an exemption as to what that exemption looks like or reasons for. Who knows? But the exemption lodged with the Victorian government isn't just solely for athletes. Uh, it's open to all industries where employees... Uh, opposing vaccination, be it medical reasons or other. Well, Daniel, it, it sounds like you know a whole lot more about that than I do, uh, and I'm not quite sure if it 
is because he got the exemption or he decided to uh, to get the jab. I'm not quite sure. Um, I don't think it's been revealed yet, at least publicly. Well, I'm figuring it's probably the former, mm. that he may have been granted the exemption. Yep. Potentially may have had COVID. Who knows? Because he, wa- he was wanting to get the Novavax vaccine, but I don't think it's arrived in Australia yet or in any great form. I don't so, know. Wait and see. Don't know, but good for Melbourne that he's uh, the big fella is uh, back on deck. All right, you're listening to Sports Central with me, Chris Warren. We're here until four o'clock. If you want to pick up the phone and have a chat, feel free to do that. one 1170 one 1170 That's the open line. There is space on the open line if you do want to have your say. And again, well done to uh, Tess Cody at the Winter Olympics. She's taken bronze in the women's snowboard slope style finals. And around the grounds we go too uh, with the uh, women's cricketers. Six for one 110. 6 for 110. Uh, so we only need 20 runs to win off 105 balls or so. So um, that you would think is in the bag. We'll keep you across that after this next break. 22 minutes to 4 o'clock in New South Wales, 22 to 3 in Queensland. Welcome to the show. If you're just tuning in, Chris Warren with you uh, for another 20 minutes or so. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, plenty of guests. And, uh, again, well done to, uh, to Tess Cody, who's taken bronze at the Winter Olympics in the Women's Snowboard Slope Style Finals. And we've got some more medals on offer tonight in the Women's Moguls Finals with Jakara Anthony, Brittany, Fo- uh, Brittany Cox, and uh, Sophie Ash as well. I think we've got all three of, uh, of our women into the finals there. Um, all righty. Well, we're just talking about uh, rugby, and uh, we're going to talk to Tim Manor very, very shortly. Um, Timmy's going to join us on and talk all things rugby league. Yes, unfortunately, our wonderful caller's just uh, gone off the line. I was going to say, yes. we've got a, a caller on the open line. Um, I forget his name, but Dane. from Yowie, Dane from Yowie Bay wanted to talk a bit of rugby. Mm. So uh, stay there, Dane. You might want to give us a call back. We'll take Timmy Manor, I think, is on the dog and bone. And it's a very good afternoon to my dear friend, Timmy Manor. How are you? You, buddy? Yeah, fantastic, mate. How you doing? Mate, I'm good. How are the mighty blue and gold shaping up? Yeah, mate. It's, uh, I'm very, very optimistic about this year. I think we've uh, got a squad that, if anything, is a little bit better than it was last year. And um, the way we finished last year was very promising. You know, just bailing out the Penrith uh, in the final. So, mate, we, look, we lose Blake Ferguson, but we, we gain Simonson, who I, who's one of my favourite wingers in the comp. So I'm really excited about what happens this year. And I think the confidence they would have got with the way they finished last year is going to um, come in handy towards back into the season. The biggest problem with Parramatta, Tim Manor, is their halves can't put four good games together, which is needed to win a grand final. They also need to learn to win away from home consistently. That's a text message that's just come through from Drew. Um, would you agree with those two points he's made? Um, mate, I, I don't think so. I thought, I thought our halves did really well um, throughout the year in terms of um, you know the combinations they're trying to go. Uh, we're pretty pretty fortunate in a position to have a spine that's been together now for I think you know, probably heading into their fourth or fifth year together. So it's a it's, it's a good combination to have, um, and I think they complement each other really well. You know, Mitchell and uh, Dylan really bounce off each other really well, uh, and hopefully this year we'll see that go to the next level. Uh, you know, I think. Everyone knows to win the grand final, you do have to put together a good campaign at the end of the year. Um, and Para probably have struggled in that in that position over the last few years in terms of getting to the finals and you know quite meekly bowing out. But um, I thought last year was the first time that they showed that they um, you know had had the ability to play some you know good finals footy, and they'll get a lot of confidence out of that this year as well. 
I've got another text, Holky from Oberon, and he's asking, um, he's saying that Coach Brad Arthur, um, should he be under pressure? Is he under pressure? And there's there's rumours around that he's sort of not been given, but the first six rounds or so will be uh, crucial in terms of uh, the future for Brad Arthur. Yeah, well, the club's just re-signed him, so he's got another three years there, so I wouldn't say he's mm. under pressure. Um, I think, you know, his, his own admission, he'd like to... Um, you know, silence a lot of those critics this year, and, and the only way you can do that is by going deep into the finals. You know, we, we spoke about um, what was the pass mark last year for Parramatta, and that and that was to go past week two and, and deep into the finals. And even though we had a great finish of the year with a, with a strong game, we still only went two weeks in. Um, mm. You know, so for Brad Arthur heading into his ninth season, I think he need, he needs to do more in the in finals. So. Um, you know, it would be interesting to see how they go, but I think, you know, if, if last year didn't go by, I think the, the players would have a lot more confidence heading into that time of the year. Some Eels fans, Timmy Manor, might think that, you know, um, the premiership window is, is closing a little bit, given that there is a bit of a player turnover at the end of this season, the likes of Reid Marnie, Isaiah Papali, Murata Nakore, um, leaving at the end of the 2022 season. Um, do you see that window as closing? You're closer to the club than most of us. There's obviously a, a crop of youngsters coming through. Yeah, well, I think that's that's probably been the concerning part. Is some some of those guys that are leaving are youngsters and guys that you know you, we would love to have built our club around. You know, guys like um, Reed Marnie, you know, Oregon Kafusi, Isaiah Papaligi, Murata. But these guys are they're not just good footy players. They're good. They're good people, man. They're guys that you know you'd love to have had stayed at the club for a long time and. And you could build a culture around those kind of guys. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you know, we, we, we're losing them. So, you know, I think now it's up to the club to replace them. And, you know, the club's in a good position off the field where they, you know, got a new centre of excellence being built, with a new stadium. You've got, um, you know, a lot of a lot going on for us off the field. Uh, it's just a matter of now finding replacements for those handy youngsters we're really losing because, um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, you ask Westmead Dolphins now how easy it is to find place to build a club around. It's, um, mm. it's quite a challenge. So, um, you know, we've got our work cut out for us, but, you know, it's going to be good, to see, interesting to see, I guess, how um, our head of football and how the club goes about recruiting and um, replacing that quality that we're losing. And, I mean, you, you spent a bit of time around the club, Timmy. Um, how has the pre-season been for them? Yeah, so I spoke to a few of the boys there, um, They've been getting flogged, but that's just across the board, mate. That's you know every, every player I speak to yeah. right now, they're telling you about how hard this time of the year is, and um, you know fitter, faster, stronger. I guess that's what every player tells you from um, around the competition how they're doing this year. Um, I guess the proof's going to be in the pudding, but I think um, from from what the the players sound like, they sound like it's gonna, they they got a lot of belief going into this year, which is always a great sign. Uh, you can always build off that, and like I said, last year was a really great. Um, a way for them to build that belief and for them to springboard off that into this season. Things have certainly changed, Timmy, over you know the past couple of decades uh, in terms of what a pre-season training regime looks like. You know, no longer, I'm sure, are they doing Wanda Sandhills and all that sort of stuff and 10K time trials. And I, I imagine pre-season has probably even changed since you hung up the boots a few years ago. Yeah, well, look, oh, mate, I'll, I'll talk all day about this, but I'm a big believer that we'll look back in 10 years and laugh about how we used to do things. Mm. Um, the same way we laugh about how people trained you know, 15 years ago. Um, I, I'm, I'm still convinced that training, at incredibly you know, intense training for four months, 
for a uh, six-month competition that's you know high intensity in your body as well. Mm. I just don't know. I just don't know if we're going to be doing that in ten years' time. But that's that's my own point of view. I think we're not in a position in, like the like for example the NFL. They do a five-week preseason and away they go. Yeah. And the reason they can do that is because they can afford to give players five months off and they can come back in good shape because there's so much mm. competition for your spot. Uh, whereas you know in Australia, if you if you had someone like a um, oh, Tommy Turbo come back mm. twenty kilos overweight. He's not going to lose his spot. He knows he's going to have his spot there. Um, whereas in the NFL and those, you know, those competitions, if you come back out of shape, you know, they're just knocking on the door because there's another person that's going to place you tomorrow. Mm. Um, so until until uh, until Australia gets to that competitive level where you know you, you know you can't you, you can't afford to give players and know they're going to come back in shape, um, it's always going to be what it is now, and that's you know four months of, of hell for players to go through. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point you make there, and probably four months. They don't need four months. I mean, you know yourself, you you could probably give give yourself two months, and you could you could hit your peak, couldn't you? Ready to go. But even then, you know, oh, Christmas, everyone's peaking come Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then, like, um, so you build up this base, don't you? You get to the sort of yeah, you probably get to yourself maybe a few kilos, a couple of kilos over what your playing weight might be. Uh, because it's very hard during the season to do those strong weights and keep the weight on, isn't it? Because you're always carrying niggly injury. So your weight uh, and strength sort of drops away the, the further the season uh, goes. So a, a lot goes into it. I guess most clubs are doing you know, pretty much the same sort of thing, aren't they? Yeah, exactly right. And it's, uh, a lot of these trainers get recycled as well. You know, you see Ronnie Palmer bounce from here mm. to there and, and you know, like that. A lot of these trainers have been in the system for a while, and you'll find that most clubs are doing things pretty similar. Yeah. Um, I thought COVID knocked, knocked things around a bit. I think, um, you know, last year was the first time I saw clubs going into a season with a different preparation. You know, some were kind yep. of tapering and pulling back, while some were still going just as hard. Um, you know, I heard the Roosters had a really tough preseason last year, and then mm. you start looking at a few of their, their their bodies breaking down early, and you start thinking, well, maybe yeah. COVID and an intense preseason without. Yeah. So there's a few things that go into it. Um, but in generally, you just, most clubs are very similar in the way they prepare. Yeah, well, it's, it's very high tech too, isn't it? The sports science that is going into it uh, these days. Um, I, I won't ask. Well, I will ask you again, but just to refresh our memories, um, who who are the couple of the clubs? Let's say you think that can sort of um, go for the title this year. I know you, you you're very impressed with the way the Roosters are shaping up. Yeah, that's correct, mate. I think I think the Roosters are going to be hard to beat this year. Um, yeah, you just saw what they did last year without all their troops, and they, they had so many injuries. They were like a, a battered boxer who just kept getting off the canvas and kept swinging. Um, I think they're going to be right up there. Um, I think I think Parramatta have a real mm. real chance to have a crack if things go their way. Mm. Uh, they'll be I think they'll be definitely in the top four and, and there towards the end of the year. Uh, Penrith, I, I think Penrith. I've, I'm never. I'm not going to. From now, on, I'm not going to write them off because I went to last year saying how they're not going to be able to back up what they did the year before, and they proved me completely wrong. So um, I think I think they have the ability to, to be um, competitive and potentially win you know, back-to-back titles. So they'll be up there as well. But, um, outside of that, you know, Manly, I, I reckon South might drop a bit this year. I think South uh, lose a bit of their X-factor with no Reynolds, no mm. Wayne Bennett. Um, I think they'll probably drop a bit. But I think, yeah, the, my top four would be Manly, Parramatta, uh, Roosters and um, uh, Penrith. There you go. Eh? So you got Manly up there. I'm just not sure about their depth. Timmy, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Wah. Cheers, mate.
There he is, Timmy Manor, one of the good guys, the real good guys in our game. Uh, still uh, with Rugby League, this one, Daniel from Prairiewood. This text, Chris sticking with the storm, uh, losing Finucane for 2022 and Kafusi, Smith, Bromwich Brothers for 2023. Uh, the storm will have some sort of war chest for 2023 and beyond. Uh, they will look to re-sign and extend out the likes of Munster, Grant, uh, Hughes, Sofa Solomona, and uh, may for the first time look to be active in the player market, something Storm are not synonymous, synonymous um, with. You, you don't often see them out in the player market too much, uh, such as the, the pathways that they've got uh, put in place. But, yeah, there are things are changing at Melbourne Storm in terms of uh, the player roster. Um, not so much this. Well, yeah, a bit of change this year as well. But certainly in 2023, it will be a, a whole different-looking Melbourne Storm. A break and back with more. Just before we go, too, uh, I better give out the uh, the score there. The Aussie women's cricket team has been successful, uh, beating England by five wickets in that second one-day international being played at Junction Oval in Melbourne. Um, the English team posted 129, all out for 129, and uh, our girls five for 131, only needing the 35 overs uh, to get the job uh, done. And uh, best with the bat for the Aussie women, uh, not so much Meg Lanning. She went for a duck, but Elise Perry, 40. Uh, she was run out. Uh, Ash Gardner, unbeaten on 31. Uh, Talia McGrath, 19. So well done to the Aussie women. Uh, they'd already secured the Ashes, but that is uh, good news for them. Now, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, right around the country, a special um, program coming up, a one-hour program. Jared Waitley is back, uh, back earlier than expected to for this uh, Waitley special. It will be uh, really shining the light uh, the blowtorch, if you like, on Cricket Australia and the decision around um, Justin Langer. So that will be, um, well, not must-watch TV, but must-listen radio. So 9 till 10 tomorrow, a Waitley special. 9pm, uh, 9pm, it'll be just as hard-hitting. I'll be back in the chair for higher ground tomorrow night. So uh, join me then. Thank you to all of the guests and you guys at home who have uh, been involved via the text line. See you tomorrow. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.